Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And it's just us. It's just us. And, and it's can, the end. Can you believe it? We're already uh, there. I know. I know. We've Where does loved the time go. True, indeed. And you know, we have enjoyed all these guests, these wonderful friends of ours who have been fans of parenthood or who have tried it out as per our request. <laughs> but it is appropriate somehow to just be the pals i guess for this uh, first season finale and if you guys are have made it this far thank you so much for listening we hope that it's brought you as much comfort and joy as it has us it has brought me so much i can't even tell you and it is so exciting to know that anyone out there at all is listening and, and that you feel like you're part of our conversations and, and this experience. It's just been beautiful. <laughs> well, as we've said, we're discussing season one, episode 13, Lost and Found, written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Trilling, bringing out the big guns for the season finale. <laughs> uh, originally aired on May 25th, 2010, which seems kind of late, right? For a, yeah, for I a guess season it does. finale, but whatever. At Here's the official NBC synopsis. Tensions run high for Sarah and Amber, leading Sarah to meet with Mr. Sear to discuss her complex daughter. Elsewhere, Crosby must decide whether to move with his new family or stay with his old one. Zeke tries to win his way back into Camille's heart. That seems like such a sparse synopsis compared to some that we've gotten. So I, I tracked down something that maybe is a little more <laughs> thorough. This is a promo for the season one Ooh, finale. Ooh, fun! I'm in. Come on! City TV Tuesday. New York. When do you have to go? Like Friday. Friday. You gotta be there for your kid. He's your son. And you can't let him slip away from you. Don't be a victim, you know? Just do something. You could lose everything. You could lose mom. Why don't you focus on our family right now? Don't miss the dramatic conclusion of... Amber's missing. Parenthood. Season finale, 10 Tuesday on City TV. Is that real? Doesn't it sound fake? It sounds I'm, so... I'm almost positive that's real. It I sounds... couldn't believe it. It sounds like those trailers that have been refitted to like Scary Mary <laughs> yeah. from Mary Poppins and Shining for The Shining. Right. I, oh why my God, is it that's so hilarious. Like, action movie, horror movie? I don't know. That it was. It says it's City TV, which is Toronto. I mean, I did find regular NBC promos. <laughs> but why would you play those which, when you've got which that? So much more match the tone of the actual <laughs> show. But uh, I just couldn't resist sharing that with you. Like, oh, good grief! No. Thank you. Amber's well, missing. Not... Dun dun. <laughs> Sounds like that's the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. But anyway, so for the actual episode. My first observation in this episode, when Hattie's dyeing her hair, I liked it. Yeah. No, she the, looks great. The lipstick, not so much. Not my favorite. <laughs> but the hair, yes. And I love Max's reaction. Like, the parents are so caught off guard. And he's just, like, enthusiastic. I like it. She looks <laughs> like a vampire. Oh, that's right. That's right. You know, something I've learned about myself is I really love scenes where teenagers do something drastic with their hair and then look dramatically in the mirror. Because when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with the movie Empire Records. And there's this great scene where Robin Tunney just looks in the mirror and just shaves her head. And it's just very dramatic and like 
she obviously really shaves her head and isn't wearing some sort of bald cap. Just throwing that out there. And she looks really cool. And Hattie, when she does it, she looks really cool. And it's just, I think it's like the most dramatic thing that a teenager can do in in their minds. Or maybe that's just my impression, because probably they could actually do a lot more dramatic (laughs) things than that. But, you know, it just feels edgy and and their way of striking out. I don't know. I, I really liked that scene. I remember in high school, I briefly tried like spiking my hair, like putting gel in my hair. I mean, to this day, I still don't know how to actually do that and make it look good. (laughs) It did not look good. God bless my parents who maybe they were just checked out, but they never asked me like, what are you doing? Or like, (laughs) hey, that really looks not good. Maybe you should reconsider. But maybe they should have. (laughs) It was was not a good look. And I had I had some teachers comment like, oh, your head exploded. What? (laughs) But they were, they were right. It, it it looked really bad. Did you ever have any teenage hair rebellion? Um, no, but when I was in elementary school, I would try to like curl my bangs and I didn't know how that was supposed to go down. And so I remember I would just sort of curl the top layer up and then I would use as much hairspray as humanly possible to just freeze it in place. And really what would happen is I would just have like a spot in my blonde bangs that almost looked black. And, and that just because of all the hairspray. And uh, I thought I looked pretty great, but the pictures say otherwise. So um, <laughs> I was mistaken. Were you using a curling iron? Yes, I was. But I didn't really understand how. So I was using that seems one. dangerous almost. I know. I would just, I just have this memory of sitting in my bedroom and like on the floor cross-legged in front of the mirror and just thinking I'm going to make myself look awesome. <sighs> So I don't know. And and for years and years, I wore really thick eyeliner. You might remember that. But that was my that was my signature look. And I thought it looked really edgy and cool. And so I don't know. I think that there are yeah, all these ways that we try to like define ourselves as as when we're young. We're just we're I, I don't know. I Later in the episode, not to skip too far ahead, but when Hattie said that she was bored with herself, I thought, Man, that feels like a really honest statement for someone her age to make. You know, I it just, I totally related to that. I got that. I did think, speaking of the hair, that Christina and Adam once again struck me as like jumping to a bit of an extreme when talking yeah. to her about it. Like, I think it was good to discuss it with her because it does seem like a sign of something and they should know what that is because maybe there is something to be concerned about and maybe there's not. But their conversation right off the bat felt accusatory. Yes, and I agree. I, I think there's an easier way to have, I mean, again, <laughs> don't have kids. Maybe maybe after season one, we stop giving <laughs> that disclaimer every five minutes. <laughs> yeah, but people yeah. will know, yeah, they're barren. I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and yet their opinions are fertile. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think there's an easier way to have that conversation but framed in a, like, we're on your side way instead of a, like, you have to answer to us kind of way. I I think that they often approach things in a way that if I were their child, I would also feel defensive the way that she does, you know? And, and man, it really kind of broke my heart when they were, you know, she, they told her that, you know, you, you skipped chemistry, but she says, you know, yeah, well, we weren't doing anything, which I don't think is an okay excuse, by the way. But then, Oh, Christina just right away goes to our Amber and Steve in that class. And I thought, I see why they ask that. And I, I think that probably everything Hattie's doing right now 
is a direct result of Amber and Steve, but it would break my heart if I were her to just constantly be defined by that terrible thing that happened to me, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah. In her earlier conversation, before she arrives at, I was really bored with myself, which I agree is like a shockingly mature bit of self-reflection. When she, she says to them in that conversation, you don't get to know everything about me. That was something I really related to because I think maybe maybe it's human nature not to want to be predictable. Mm. But I know it was one of the biggest hurdles for me in coming out. Really? I was 21 before I came out, which in New York City feels old. I mean, I look back and realize like, oh, I was very young. But it feels, especially compared to like today. Yeah. It felt kind of old to be coming out. And um, one of the big reasons was that people had had kind of caught on to the fact that I was gay long before that. I mean, and in some ways it was, they caught on by making fun of me. Um, But even more benign than that, a lot of people had basically predicted it before I had really accepted it or come to understand it myself. And a big part of me just didn't want them to be right. You know, I would, I would say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not really just out of like, I wasn't there yet. Yeah. And now it's like, ugh, I'm going to just prove all of them right. You know, can't a guy be into musicals and Care Bears and My Little Ponies <laughs> and not be gay? And I would want to say, even to this day, I would want to say, yes, you can be. But odds probably are, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are. Uh, but anyway, I that's what it, it made me think of. Just like, wow. yeah, just the power of like not wanting other people to figure you out before you figure yourself out. It's really powerful. Well, and, you know, I was thinking... Just kind of as an end of season reflection, I, I asked myself just a few questions and I don't know, one of them was, which character do I relate to the most? And I was really surprised by my answer because I think my answer is Hattie. That feels strange because we're totally different ages, you know, but but I think I was most like Hattie when I was that age. I too felt this real desire not to be predictable just like you said, except of course with me, it was totally different, but it was, I was kind of a goody goody, you know, and, and I wasn't very exciting. I would have totally been intimidated by somebody like Amber. In fact, I knew people like Amber and I admired them. And I just thought, well, I'm never going to be that cool, (laughs) that, that interesting. Um, and yeah, I think I, I worried I was, I was boring and reliable and not very sexy, you know. The, the I remember even all the way up to when I met my husband, I was very worried, I think, that he was going to decide I was boring and that he would want somebody a lot more exciting and sexy and that I wasn't trustworthy. Or wait, no, that I was trustworthy, but that that was boring. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. But um, eventually I learned that I really like all these qualities about myself. The qualities that I thought were so boring. I'm like, well, that's exactly what Mark likes about me, that I am trustworthy and that that I'm reliable, you know, and, and they're qualities I like about myself. But when I was Hattie's age, I was not there. <laughs> and so that's probably a good sign that you're with the right person. Yeah, that's nice. I, th- I think so. <laughs> um, I just needed a change. Okay. I mean, with my hair. Um, I understand. I just yeah. don't. I don't understand. I mean, it's fine. Just something had to change, you know. Like mm-hmm. something had to. But but why? I mean, why do you feel like it had to change? Because uh, I was really bored with myself. 
because like everything I did was predictable and was like this person who everybody thought they knew. Hattie. I don't know. I mean, when Amber came here, she was like, she's really different, you know? Mm-hmm. She's free and I don't know. I hate her for what she did with Steve, but I'm, I want to be more like her. You're so perfect the way that you are. Why would you want to become somebody else? It kills me to see dirt like this. When I was your age, I was pressured into many things that I regret by my friends, by boys and people that I thought I trusted. And I don't want that for you. I want you to talk to me about these things always. I know you know already about Steve. I do. I know. I'm not ready. Mm -mm. I know I'm not ready, okay? You're not ready. 15, you're not ready. I know you know know that, and I'm so proud of you for for standing up for yourself and not doing that. Sorry about not telling you I was going to dye my hair. Honey, I kind of like it. It's really cute. It's really cute. It seems like a theme between those two that they always get to this really lovely place by the end of the episode, but they've got to yeah, completely freak out and scream at each other first. And maybe that's not just the drama of TV. Maybe that's what it's really like to raise a teenager. You know, maybe you're just not able to have that calm, rational talk first. Maybe you got to. Yeah. yeah. Christina saying that she was pressured into lots of things she now regrets. Yeah. Something about that line and the way she delivered it and then coupled with, I think it was What's Up, that episode. <laughs> I feel the way I say What's Up is like Fred Willard in Mighty Wind going, What happened? <laughs> where, where she said, my dad was nothing like your dad. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we're getting these little implications that she had kind of a rocky childhood. And I could be reading way too much into that. Yeah. For the most part, I think Christina is a really incredible person, especially how protective she is of Hattie. But of course, that means this episode and the one before it also paint her in some of the worst lights, I think. I I really am actively angry with her in in certain moments. Um, But I don't know. It it feels, like I keep saying, really human. And and I guess I get where she would be coming from um, as far as, you know, Steve and, and Amber and everything. But boy, the way she treats Sarah... It feels cruel and it feels a little bullying. And I think it's interesting to reconcile that with her talking about the pressure she used to feel as a kid or her dad not being very kind to her. Christina seems so vanilla, right? So like just stay at home mom. She's kind of dorky at times. But then it seems like maybe there's something inside of her, perhaps because of this this history that's hinted at, where she can go to kind of a... A, a dark place or something where she can, if need be, she will get kind of rude and she will lash out and she will be passive aggressive. And I don't know, she'll just find these these ways to behave that aren't very gracious or generous. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, maybe just because that conversation was taking place as they were going to get Amber. Yeah. She makes this little allusion to her past And I kind of wondered if she had a sort of Amber-like childhood. Because, you know, I don't think Amber has has had, I mean, I hope not, abuse or, you know, I don't think they've ever been homeless. Although she does say they were staying in a 
motel at one point. Yeah. But so, I mean, so she's had a rough childhood, but hopefully not um, traumatic, but it does stick with you. And it made me wonder if perhaps, yeah, like I said, Christina was like Amber when she was a, a teenager, which means that Amber could become a sort of Christina-like, huh. someone who seems like a cookie cutter, no problems whatsoever, housewife and mom. and But that doesn't mean she hasn't dealt with stuff. Or she could become someone like Sarah, who kind of just is an adult version of Amber. Right. And then now you saying that because she is super cold and kind of cruel to Sarah. Yeah. And I wonder if there's some element there of, I grew out of this mm. and you haven't. Why haven't you gotten your shit together? Oh, man. Um, you know, yeah, we both had tough breaks and I spun mine into gold. <laughs> and you just Like keep... my hair. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think it's to her credit and it certainly seems like the episode is broadcasting this, that once there's something real at stake, namely Amber being missing... Christina drops that instantly. Yeah. I'll go get her. I'm closer. We're going to help. That's at least something. That's a lot, actually. It is a lot. Just a small thing I noticed in that scene where they go to pick Amber up. Christina had an umbrella when she was standing in the rain. And then when Sarah got out of the car, she just has to use her jacket. And I thought, oh, that is such a tiny, perfect note that of course Christina would be prepared and Sarah would not be, you know? And right. yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And that they didn't like hammer it home. I think a lot of what the show does is very subtle like that. The second thing I noted was that Crosby is making Jabbar a waffle. Oh, because he that prefers really, waffles. Yeah, it really shows his growth because he was yeah. actually listening when Jabbar said, I like waffles better. <laughs> He's oh. learned how to be a father. Yes. Uh my God, the, the Jabbar and Crosby stuff in this episode just I kills think Jabbar me. is maybe at his peak cuteness in this episode. <laughs> I mean, like every shot of him, I was just like, I just want to gobble you up. <laughs> well, and his lines, I mean, he delivers them beautifully. I mean, really, Tyree Brown is a very good actor. And yes, of course, he's so cute. But like the lines are intended to melt your heart and he delivers them so beautifully, you know, like... So how come I call you Crosby? What do you mean? I could call you Daddy, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's up to you, but I would like that. Okay. Well, okay. How about we go tackle this city? Just a couple of dudes in search of a science center and some pizza. What do you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then oh. the way he just kind of like cradles him. It's oh. so, I was literally, oh, <laughs> yes. through that whole scene out loud at the screen. It was so sweet. I had remembered that scene and I, I thought it was in this episode. And I, I took note of it earlier in the episode where Jabbar calls Zeke grandpa. And I thought, how interesting that he learns to call Zeke grandpa before he calls Crosby daddy, you know? And, um, because he's so much closer to Crosby, but maybe that's a bigger deal, you know, to to call your father. Oh, that's daddy. an interesting point. And now you say it. I mean, I remember when he meets them, when he meets the Bravermans, Camille right away says, you can call me grandma. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. That feels like something she could absolutely get away with. Yeah. And no one would be like, slow down, Camille. Don't overstep. <laughs> yeah. But that Crosby might, you know, if he 
had for, well, I guess Crosby had to sort out so many other things. Yes. So even if he shouldn't have said that, you know, he was not about to be like, you can call me daddy if you want. But I think it's good that he didn't. And actually, I really loved, yes. even just in that scene, that he said, it's up to you. Yeah. That Jabbar gets to call him whatever he wants. And it's like, that is really respectful of, because it's a big change in Jabbar's life too. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how great Tyree Brown is. I was especially struck by right before he asks that question, you know, they're talking about New York and he's adorable there too. <laughs> yeah. And then he just sits down and you can see him thinking Yeah. for what, not saying anything. And then that's when, how come I call you Crosby just pops out. And I thought, how do you get a five or six year old to think yeah. visibly on screen? Okay. Now pretend to think without it being like a cartoonish, like, Tapping your right. chin and nodding your head, you know. Yeah. You could tell he was working over some problem in his head that didn't make sense to him. I just thought it was so good. I know. And I feel like the child actors on this show are really good at, I mean, they're at a cute age anyway. They're, they're you know, they're going to be cute. But yeah, they don't, they don't overdo it. It's not precocious. Like, even the line at the very end, it was a line that made me tear up. It was just the way he delivers it. He says... You're just like me, Daddy, and oh. then and then that paired with Dak Shepard's like visible like pain because you know of all that's transpired that we're about to discuss. Oh my God, I just couldn't even handle it, and I thought he delivered that perfectly. That could have been way too cute, and it was not. It was just sincere and hopeful and just sweet. I don't know. It was just that's why yeah. it got me. Yeah, and I feel like I hardly ever notice technical things about like filmmaking but i noticed after that line there's a very subtle zoom in from the camera on crosby after jabbar has said you're just like me daddy and wow that had an impact on me and i i thought i mean there's people obviously who study (laughs) (laughs) their whole life and like oh they know this they know the, the power of that but it really helped motivate that he then, you know, makes that last ditch effort or confession or whatever you want to call it to Jasmine. Oh. Now it feels like I have to play that. I'm just oh, going all out of order. Is that okay? Yes. <laughs> I like that we go where the conversation leads us. Hey, uh, can we talk? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Okay. <sighs> Taxi's here. You know what? He'll wait. Jasmine. Jasmine. What? Can you stop packing for one second? I hate my dad right now for what he did to my mom, but he was a great dad. You know, he, he was always making me laugh and taking me places, and he smiled every time he saw me. And he thought I was funny, and he could never stay mad at me because he loved me so much. <laughs> and the point I'm trying to make is I can't imagine who I would be without him. And I want Jabbar to have that. I don't want to be rational. I want to be irrational. I want to come with you to New York right now, get in the cab, buy a ticket, and go. What about your family? (laughs) Jasmine, you are my family. What are you thinking right now? Uh, I'm thinking that you're a constant surprise. God, that 
you go first. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I didn't write anything down. <laughs> well, okay, I have one. I really thought that it was such an interesting discussion they had in light of conversations you and I have had with guests in the last few episodes about how do sometimes the Braverman siblings put their nuclear family, you know, their original childhood family before their sort of new formed families. And I thought- It even happens in this episode when Christina says to Adam, we're your family. Yes. Why don't you Why don't you take care of things here before you go help Drew? Yes, absolutely. And like how interesting and almost on the nose then that when he says he wants to go with Jasmine and she's like, what about your family? That that's his answer. You're my family. And honestly, I think that's so healthy I don't mean to sound disrespectful, not disrespectful, but like not non-appreciative of what our original families do for us. But it's something that I've noticed all season long. I made a comment earlier when Adam first started seeming concerned about Hattie, at like dating, you know, and, and how that trope sometimes is like you don't want your kids to meet anyone new. And you, you know, you, you, you're like afraid that they're going to leave you and leave the family And how, you know, there's this weird, almost creepy vibe sometimes of like, no one's good enough for my little girl, et cetera, et cetera. And in that episode, I think I said something along the lines of, don't parents want their children to grow up and to find love and to make families of their own? And I think it's kind of beautiful because people just keep saying, be a man in this episode. And I think Crosby is a man. And I think it took some time. But I think part of being a man and growing up for him was not doing his laundry at his parents' house and, you know, accepting that he has a son, that he has this family, and not going in halfway, but going in all the way. I think at some point you do kind of have to put that family first. Yeah. You know, people talk about chosen family versus the family you were born into. Oh, that was so much more succinct than what I said earlier. (laughs) Well, but I feel like they're usually talking about like a family of friends. I mean, I suppose they aren't necessarily just talking about that. But I feel like that's the context in which I usually hear it. Yeah. That you surround yourself with people who by virtue of how much time you spend with them and how there for each other you all are, you are a family. But- You know, even the people that you marry, that's chosen family who then becomes just, they are so chosen that you're like kind of stuck with them forever (laughs) the way that you would be with family you're born into. But, you know, he's making a conscious choice to be with her and to be with Jabbar. And he didn't choose to be born into the family that he was born into. I love that the family he was born into loves each other so much and is there for each other. That's great. But you especially have pointed out some real boundary issues that I'm not sure are healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and that there is a natural, you know, they say about parenting that the goal of parenting is to work yourself out of a job. <laughs> yeah. Get your kid to the point where they don't need a parent. Yeah. And I think there's truth to that. And especially to contrast Crosby here at the end of the season with where he began. Yes. It's really admirable. I also loved in this episode that I really admired how Crosby handled being in what I thought was a really tough spot. His whole family dynamic with Jasmine and Jabbar is very new still, even though it's going great. And to a degree, I think he does have to respect how new he is to their family dynamic. 
While I think he certainly is allowed to have a voice in that conversation, I don't think he's allowed to be like, no, you're not going with my kid. I mean, and this depends, like, legally, does he have a right to do that? Probably. Like, if he were going to argue it in a court. But it's like, no, 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 no. No, obviously no one wants it to get to that level. Right, right. And Crosby clearly seems to know that, that that would be the wrong way to go. So I, I admired that. But then also, like I said, he does certainly deserve a say. And I I just felt like he was in a really tough spot of trying to be supportive and trying to be respectful, but also wanting to keep building this relationship that he's done such a good job building. I really loved that his chief concern, at least earlier in the episode, seemed to be how Jabbar was going to perceive him not being in his life. Yes, I just really felt for him and I felt like he was doing a really good job walking that line. I completely agree. One of my favorite moments in the whole episode was the callback to Zeke telling him, you know, be a man, like, yeah, throw your weight around, tell Jasmine what to do, which is terrible advice. And I love that when it comes back around and we'll get to it, I know, but when Crosby tells his dad, you be a man. He's twice the man his father is in that moment. And that's a that's a strange place for them to be because we've seen that with Adam and Zeke, but we really haven't seen it with Crosby and Zeke. And it's it's so interesting because there were moments in this episode that really reminded me of the, the dynamic in the Parenthood film, um, you know, just how close Zeke and Crosby are. And they're drinking and they're palling around and they're talking about women and stuff. It, it reminded me of Larry and... Uh, Frank. Frank. Yeah. I wrote down the exact same thing. Oh, man. This scene weirdly reminded me of Frank and Larry in the movie and just how different it is. Yes. But the main difference is Crosby could not be more different than, you know, Larry, who leaves cool, leaves his son without a second thought. And, And Crosby... He is a man. You know, he's a really good person. My God, we've talked about it before, but like now more than ever, I feel like. And everything you said, I was just nodding the whole time because I completely agree that he is so good not to push too much. But then at the end, that speech he gives, it's so sincere and it's not bossy or demanding. It's just honest. You know, it's just him telling her how he feels. And I think he would regret not doing that. But I love that he's not demanding and he's not telling her not to pursue her dream. Yeah, when at the beginning of the episode, when she finds out she's in, his first reaction is celebratory and it seemed 100% genuine. Yes. I I mean, he very quickly then said, so, New York. (laughs) But he even then he wasn't contesting it. It was like, of course you can't pass this up. And he's even defending her to Zeke. Yeah. Zeke's saying, we've got dance troops here. And he's like, what do you know about dancing? <laughs> and if anyone does, I mean, I don't know that much about dance, but I do know that if you get accepted into Alvin Ailey, you take it. Yeah, like that's, you go. That is a, <laughs> a huge honor. And you don't get in because you know someone or, you know, like <laughs> you got to be elite in your field. I've never worked at Alvin Ailey, but I've worked in their building. Oh, yeah? <laughs> On 55th and 9th, there's often a studio space to rent, and I've, I've played auditions and dance calls there before. So cool. So do you think Crosby, from that last speech, is he moving to New York? Or he says, you know, I want to buy a plane and go with you to New York. Is he just going with them? Is he moving? What are we supposed to think is happening? So basing it just off of this episode, 
pretending we've never seen the whole rest or anything like that, just all the disclaimers out of the way. Yeah, I believe we're supposed to think he's moving there. I don't, I don't, I didn't interpret that big speech as let me help you get settled and then I'll buy another ticket home. Yeah. You know, I, I took yeah, that as... Yeah, I think as, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. I, I really thought that was the right thing to do. I like that it came about organically. I mean, I guess that's just more dramatic in a TV show that you wait until the taxi's there to say, I want to go with you. Uh, and maybe in real life, you would have that conversation sooner. But I think it took him, you know, I mean, not that they until had- a- Until Jabbar called him daddy. Yeah, yeah. Aww. You're just like me, daddy. And like, that would do it. And, you know, things I loved, you know, yeah, talk about a character arc. You know, he was so reluctant to have a child with Katie. And I'm sure that was partly, maybe he didn't love Katie and he loves Jasmine. And that was a hypothetical child and Jabbar exists. So I know that there are reasons. But yeah, for him to go from like putting it off as like far away as possible and just really digging into his bachelor status to being this person who, I mean, even before his big gesture, when he's talking to Jasmine about a plan and she's like, we'll have phone dates every Sunday. And he's like, or every day, you know, like the idea that once a week wouldn't be enough and that he wants to talk to them every single day. I thought that was really beautiful, you know, and I'm like, wow, what a change. That's totally different from the Crosby we knew at the beginning. Yeah. Well, how beautiful that it's sort of revealed in his speech that one of the reasons he wants to be a good father is because he knows what it's like to have a good father. Yeah. That his father had such an impact on him. He's like, oh, I get to be that to someone. And if I can, I want to. Also, it hadn't occurred to me until you were just talking about Katie. In the pilot, his first offer is, I'll have a baby with you in five years. Yeah. She gets him down to three. How ironic that he has a five-year-old. <laughs> That's true. Right? Right. No, totally true. Sidebar, when Crosby is talking to Jabbar about airplanes, he was right on. According to what you <laughs> find if you Google Boeing 767 facts, there are 3.1 million parts provided by more than 800 international suppliers. It's almost as if the writers Googled the exact same thing I did. <laughs> And then just wrote down what they found. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just now wondering real quick, like, what do you think that speech did to Jasmine, someone who, it's not just the fact that she loves Crosby and he's saying this to her. She grew up without a father, you know? So here he is giving this speech about, I know what it's like to have a good father, so I want to be that to Jabbar. And, you know, we've talked about how the fact that she grew up without a father probably impacted her decision not to tell Crosby right away. You know, like maybe she didn't even think this is what I'm kind of depriving my kid of because she grew up very well without one. You know, and now she's seeing everything so differently, I think. She sees how, you know, Crosby and Jabbar love each other and she, you know, wanted them to have that relationship and they do. And to her surprise, she has a relationship with Crosby now as well. And it's just all going so well. I just think that must be so interesting for her to never really have thought she'd have to, yeah, factor somebody in like this. And I I am so proud of her for taking the job. And I'm really glad that the show didn't even have them have a conversation about that. Like, like you said, this is a big deal. I'm glad they're like, yes, we need to make this work. But at the same time, yeah, what else? <laughs> what else? You know, how do, how do we work it all out? Um, yeah. yeah. Although I suppose I should say, like, just want the slight opposing viewpoint Crosby did bring it up even before she auditioned. Yeah. She said, I'm not going to get it. It's pointless to even talk about moving to New York (laughs) because I'm not going to get it. And then 
yeah, of it exactly happened. And I do think there is a, a hint of she's just going to do whatever she wants with Jabbar because she still thinks of him as hers. Yeah. But this is not a small opportunity. This is a huge no. opportunity. It would be ridiculous for Jabbar not to go with her. Right. Like, I don't think it's at the point where you're like, oh, yeah, just live with daddy here <laughs> until mommy decides she's not going to be an Alvin Ailey anymore. Because yeah. that could be a years long job. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was so excited that she had it that I didn't really dwell on her just doing whatever she wanted. <laughs> About how she would perceive the speech at the end, I also think I remember in a previous episode when Crosby is griping about how he feels like she's being kind of hot and cold. Mm. You know, sometimes she wants them to be close and other times she's like, back off. And I remember saying, I feel like actually what she's having to do is gauge how reliable he is or how invested he is and then adjust. Yeah. So I don't think she was necessarily ever being, you know, hot and cold. I think it's that Crosby was learning how to show up for his kid and when she felt like she could trust him, things were good. And then when he gave her reason to doubt that, she had to be protective. Yeah. This sure seems like a good sign of like, oh, he's he's invested. Yeah. He's going to be there for you. He's going to move across the country for you because he can't bear to not be there for Jabbar. That's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think she'd be happy about that. And I, I thought her response of, you know, you're a constant surprise. <laughs> was really good. It was good. You know, and the way she says it, it's it seems clear that it's a positive thing. Not, yeah. not you're a constant surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, this does make me wonder, what if there were no Jabbar, which is a huge if, because it's the whole reason that they're back in each other's lives, et cetera. But, you know, what if it w- they were just a couple without a kid and she got this job? At that point, would he move? I'm thinking probably not. They would probably do the long distance thing, maybe still see each other, but, you know, fly back and forth. So that is such an interesting element that you can never take out of it. To what degree is it a package deal? And to what degree is it her? And again, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it really doesn't. The, The fact is Jabbar does exist and he loves them both. Earlier on in the episode, when Zeke is staying with Crosby on the houseboat, I looked up what they were singing and it's, Good-Hearted Woman by Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. <laughs> oh, cool. And the lyrics are about a woman who stands by a kind of rotten guy. Oh. It's like, oh, this is maybe wishful thinking on Zeke's part. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, that's the scene that reminded me of Frank and Larry. Yeah. Some, even though they were never <laughs> doing shots and singing country songs. But, um, but but it reminded me of them, too. I'm not sure why. Like, what was that vibe, I guess, that made us both individually think about the movie? I feel like I haven't thought about the movie in a while, but that really yeah. did. Yeah. And Crosby confronts Zeke, similar to Adam, and yet I felt like, not at all like Adam. Let's discuss. You know, you got a lot of nerve giving me advice about Jasmine after what you did to mom. What? What? You screwed up. Dad, you screwed up with mom. And she did nothing. Uh, Cosby, it's pretty complicated. Is it? Is it super complicated? I think I can figure it out. She stood by you for 40 years. You can't just sit here and drink beer and listen to the radio and think she's going to come over here and beg you to come home? Is that what you think? You are going to lose her. Do you get that? You need to take your own advice and fight for her. You be a man, Dad. Oh, so good. 
It's so good. And I think it carries so much more weight coming from Crosby because I think Adam, <laughs> I love Adam, but you know, he's kind of sanctimonious, right? He's always right. <laughs> you know, well, I, I wondered like, is, is he, is, does his squeaky clean life just m- make him automatically feel self-righteous? Maybe. Like, even if he doesn't <laughs> mean to do it. Cause I thought the same thing. Wow. <laughs> Well, and, you know, I think that Crosby really has a point, too, because he isn't just lecturing his dad out of nowhere. He's saying, how dare you lecture me, you know, considering in light of this new information that I've just learned, how dare you, you know, and and I thought that was the perfect in. Maybe Adam did that, too, but it just seems like Adam is always lecturing people sort of apropos of nothing, you know, (laughs) and for for Crosby, it's like a return volley you be a man. And his definition of being a man is so much more aligned with mine than Zeke's is. I'm like, oh, Zeke, what are, yeah, throw your weight around, just make scenes, you know, belittle women. And I I mean, I really, (laughs) I love Zeke, but he has not been his best self in these last few episodes, except I guess Mm -hmm. there are always these little glimmers where, you know, he's all drunk and he says like, I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. And Crosby's like, what? He's like, your mom's got to take me back. You know, he does. So it's like he maybe has these little moments of, you know, the vulnerability within. I thought the same thing. I thought I thought that Crosby was somehow both more direct and less judgmental than Adam. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly why. I mean, I think all the reasons you said that all felt right on to me. Maybe also that with Crosby, I never got the hint that he was like throwing Zeke out. Yeah. That it was like, of course you can stay here. Yeah. But I'm upset with you. He also seemed angry at him, but also on his side. Like, yeah. you are going to lose her. It seems like the way he's saying that, it, that it's it's critical, but it's also encouraging. Like, let me wake you up so that you can get what you want. Because what you're doing right now is not going to get you what you want, which is mom back. You can't wait for her to come to you. You're the one that screwed up. Yes, He's like, he's very on his side. I think he's on his side in a way that Adam isn't, too. I mean, I think Adam and Christina, and hey, no judgment. It would be very hard to live with yeah. with Zeke or or just an in-law. Especially yeah. while you're dealing with your teenager and your autistic son. And, yes. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I don't even mean to sound judgmental. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, We never saw Adam and Christina have fun with Zeke in their home, even though I know that would look different. But like, we never see them all watching the game together. You know, obviously Adam's not going to like get wasted with his dad and sing country songs, but (laughs) we never see their version of that either. You know, there's, there's, I guess maybe they go running, but it, it just, the raucous good time that we see Crosby and his dad have, I think maybe his speech really means something after that. Like, you know, he loves his dad and he genuinely enjoys his company. They were having this great time together. And so I think for him to give the speech, it's not just a guy who's been slowly like driven insane an entire episode. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm going to kill him. And then finally unleashes on him. It's someone who's like really hurt that maybe his dad isn't who he thought he was. That confrontation also felt like an interesting mirror to Sarah's confrontation with Camille. Mom, I don't know what's exactly uh, what's going on, you know, right now with you and dad or um, that guy, Matthew. Not that it's any of my business. Well, um... It kind of isn't your business, but um, nothing's going on. I told him uh, that's not happening anymore. 
Okay. I don't know. Dad just said he was at the house, so... That's the thing about your father. He talks to everybody but me. Look, uh, Julia's having that guy Tim over to her house for dinner to talk to Dad about the property. I think you should be there, too. Well, I should be there. But why didn't he invite me? You see? That's what I'm I talking I don't know, about. Mom. If you sit around waiting for him to invite you or call you or tell you what to do, you could be waiting forever. I mean, don't be a victim, you know? Just do something. You don't need an invitation to your own life. <sighs> you are absolutely right. really glad I taught you that. Well, and it felt like some of the advice Sarah was giving was advice that she's been getting, you know, <laughs> like like exactly. Adam in a yeah, previous episode telling her, like, do something. And it seems like maybe those words have been rattling around in her mind and she sees the value in them as it pertains to her, but also her mom. Yeah. It, did, it didn't feel hypocritical to me, but maybe it should have. I don't know. Yeah, I did. And also, like, just hearing it now, too, you know, Camille saying... That's the problem with your father. He talks to everyone but me. But she's venting all these frustrations about him, but not to him, <laughs> to her kids. And it's like, does he know these are the specific things you're upset about? And look, there's probably a very good likelihood that he has heard all of these frustrations <laughs> yeah. multiple times. And also probably a good likelihood that he doesn't remember that he's heard mm. all of these frustrations multiple times, which would itself be a huge source of frustration. Oh, yeah. But it does speak a little bit to like, yeah, mom, don't complain to me about how difficult he is. Complain to him. Yeah. <laughs> That's, this isn't going to fix anything. You griping to your daughter in the attic. Yeah. But I also agreed with you. It felt like advice she either had gotten recently or advice she needed to get. I also thought the same thing when she blows up at Amber. It mm. seemed like she was saying a lot of things that had either just been said to her or like things that she needs to hear. Adam right, couldn't make it. Why couldn't he oh. make it? I don't know. He just couldn't. I know. Well done. Sorry. It's because of me. Did that get you? On the because of me. Leg? I, don't, I don't know why it was. I'm sure they think that, you know, Hattie dyed her hair um, black because of me, too. Oh, I, sure. Hattie dyed her hair black. I mean, what, what isn't no, your fault? No, it's like, yeah, I know. Everything is right your fault. It's your fault. He couldn't make it. He's a person. Please. Dyed her hair black because she's That's why Hattie dyed her hair black. not to be proud well, of. Well, I mean, it's... then maybe you should have thought about what you did before, you know? I mean. Really? You're saying this now? I mean, I'm trouble. No, I'm not. I've talked to you about this. I know. I feel bad. I know. I know. I feel bad. I'm just tired of you whining about it. It's like, you know, do something oh. about it. We're just trying to play do a nice game about it. for a I'm second. just trying to live my life. You don't know what it's like. Right, I've done everything guys. I can for you guys. I moved you back here, and I didn't want to come here. Is that what this is about? No. Did it's it? one thing if you're miserable. It's another thing if you bring us all down with you. So I'm just asking, just think one step beyond, oh, this feels good. That's what I'm asking you to do. Oh, man. The cyclical generational thing is so crazy to me. Because that outburst is almost exactly what I was feeling towards Sarah in the mm. last episode. And I was hard on Sarah in the last <laughs> episode. Maybe unfairly, but it was, I, I felt like I was in the place Adam was, which mm -hmm. is, you know, like what I'm feeling is maybe not totally, I'm, I'm letting my emotions mm. carry me away a little bit, but they're rooted in something that is real. It's yeah. an actual like source of, uh, frustration for me with her and even in that scene i gotta say it felt to me like amber was fishing mm -hmm. to make herself the center of that problem it's yeah. like amber just leave it alone why it, it seemed like she was trying to have that confrontation 
And I thought the same thing soon after when Sarah went over to Christina's and was like, can I get Steve's number? It was like she was just poking Christina. Like, you're mad at me, aren't you? I know you're mad at me. Why don't you just admit that you're mad at me? And it's like, stop it. Why do you need this? What what in your nature? And then Adam comes down and she's like, Amber's missing. And <laughs> she's just relays the information. It's like, why couldn't you have done that with Christina? Like, I, I get that there was friction there, but it did seem like this is a trait they share, which is like, huh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stir up drama. Some part of me likes it. Interesting. I really did get the same read on Amber with that scene, but the reason I thought she waited to say Amber was missing with Christina was I just didn't think she felt safe. And that might That's sound true. dramatic, but like, you know, Christina has been so rude to her that I think maybe she didn't, I think she wanted to tell her brother Amber was missing. I don't think she wanted to tell this woman who's been like mean to her. I think she was like, you know what? Let me just get the number and then I'm going to go handle this. And you don't even have to know that anything's going on. And then Adam comes downstairs and it's, you know, and at least that was my read on it. But no, that's super interesting. And, you know, something else that I thought was that, and I genuinely didn't remember before this episode, I was like, so does... Sarah keeps threatening to move away. Do they actually start to move away? I really couldn't remember. And then I'm like, oh no, they don't. But she keeps saying they're going to, and then Amber really does it. And I thought that was so interesting that here's this this mother-daughter, they're so alike, just so alike. And Amber also feels responsible for everything, just as Sarah does. And Sarah keeps saying, we shouldn't have come here. And so Amber leaves, you know, and it's just... Man. I thought it was funny too that Amber leaves, but clearly with no plan. Yeah. As to yeah. where she's going or what she's going to do. And I thought, oh, she didn't think beyond, oh, this feels good, which is exactly <laughs> what Sarah asked That's her to do. That's true. And <laughs> Sarah does the same thing when she starts to date Mark Sear. You know, she really doesn't think anything ahead of, oh, this feels good. You know, she doesn't talk to Amber first or make a plan. She just is like, oh, he's cute and then we're going to make out. And. Yeah, you know. eventually she does, which is better late than never, I guess. Well, let's talk about Mark in this episode. I had actually forgotten that he was in this episode. Wow. How are, how are you doing with all this? I mean, it can't be easy. No, it's, um, you know, it's just all made me think that I think coming here might have been a mistake. Um... It was a mess where we were, but it didn't affect so many people, and it didn't disrupt the family. I think we're better on our own. And so we should move on and make a mess someplace new. Okay. I think that's actually what I came to tell you today. Because I missed your face. So. Uh, well, Sarah, um. <laughs> For what it's worth, I, I. I don't think that running away from your problems is, is the answer. I think that you're doing a great job with Amber. You're an incredible mother, and 
I think she's gonna do just fine here, and um, I don't think that you should leave. Please don't leave. Ugh. I, I don't care. You are how, so the smitten kitten. I, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care how brief. I just want him on the TV. I want him and her together. Oh, my God. I shipped them so hard. I had not forgotten he was in this episode because I'm pretty sure I watched the scenes with him and Sarah over and over. So like, I would <laughs> rewind the DVR last time or the DVDs, whatever I was watching on. I would just rewatch but I I loved that I think he's a really good person and I I thought it was a cool choice that Sarah didn't have to explain to him what was going on because he teaches at that school and probably knows what's going on he's probably heard the gossip and probably knows the situation and I thought oh and so for him to say I think she's gonna be okay it didn't feel like just empty talk to get the woman he's interested in not to leave. I think he really does care about Amber. And if he really thought that was a good plan, he probably wouldn't have, you know, made it about him and said, please don't leave. Because he's not even saying go out with me. You know, he's he's just, I think, holding on to the hope that someday they, like she said, they might get back together. But I really think he means what he says, that they're going to get through this. Don't run away. I don't know. What was your reaction to that scene? My biggest reaction is just, I love how straightforward he is. There's just like a total lack of game playing or trying to send some subtle signals. I'm going to say what I mean. Yeah. Please don't leave. And not in a belligerent or um, um, what's the word for like aggressive persuasion? Like manipulative or. Yeah. He maybe that like, yeah, he's not manipulating her. He's just saying, well, here's where I stand. Yeah. Here's my opinion. I don't want you to leave. Yeah. Good. She can do with that whatever she wants. I did wonder, what's the point of having him in this episode? Or what's the value of having him in this episode? My guess is that people like me were very excited that he was in it. And it might just be, don't give up. We we haven't forgotten that you liked these two together. Stay tuned. Perhaps there will be more. Like like a breadcrumb. That's what I You thought. know, this is funny. I want, so I looked up some of the information about when did this series get renewed for a second season? And it looks like it happened in April of 2010, which I don't think this is a spoiler to say Parenthood was like always on the bubble of will it come back or has it been canceled? And I feel like it frequently wouldn't be announced that it had been renewed until like the middle of the summer. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, it's coming back. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> and like every season finale feels like it could be a series finale. And, you know, this aired on May 25th and they knew on like April 20th that mm. it was coming back. And I don't know what their their lead time in terms of production was and whether they would have known before they shot the last episode, if they could incorporate a cliffhanger or something. And there aren't any cliffhangers in this episode. So that makes me think maybe they didn't, or it just, there wasn't enough time. But now you saying this, his scene is so brief. He doesn't come back elsewhere in the episode. If they did have time to make any changes, knowing that they had a second season coming, this scene seems like maybe that could be it. I'm yeah. like, oh, that this guest star really paid off in the yeah. middle of the season and we know we're coming back and we can get him here. Maybe we can tease very subtly a sense of like, you might get more Mark and Sarah in season two. I will also just say while we're on this subject, 
The season premiere of Parenthood, which premiered after the Winter Olympics, it had 8.1 million viewers. The season finale had 6.04 million viewers. So in terms of total viewers, over the course of the first season, it had like lost a quarter of its audience. Wow. I would think that's not a lot. Although this is also at a time, 2010, when really the landscape of TV was, I mean, as it still is, undergoing big changes. There's so many channels. Network shows just didn't dominate in ratings the way they used to, where you would have a huge hit show would have like 20 million viewers. Almost no one was getting numbers like that. But I did find some articles where it said NBC, when they announced that the series had been renewed, they said that Parenthood had one of the highest concentrations of homes with incomes over $100,000 in the adult 1849 demographic, which is what advertisers love. Huh. They love because people between 18 and 49 can be swayed by ads mm. and will spend their money accordingly. Whereas if you're if you're 50 or over, you know what kind of toilet paper you like. And that's the only <laughs> kind you're going to buy. <laughs> but then if you get those people and then you get the rich ones. Oh, huh. hey, the rich, the rich consumers really like our show. So we're going to keep it on. Why do rich people like parenthood? Is it because everybody's got a nice kitchen and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I mean, we talked about this earlier off mic, but all, almost all the families, it's like one of them is a stay-at-home parent, you know? Like, I mean, they're all They're pretty, very privileged. Yeah, it's, very privileged. Yeah. yeah. Even Sarah, who's like dead broke, here, come live in your parents' guest house. <laughs> yeah. They have a whole separate structure just for you. <laughs> but apparently only two spare bedrooms in the actual house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's a good explanation for what Mark was doing there. Because while I liked seeing him, I did have a little bit of a question mark of like, a question mark. Oh. You know? pun, <laughs> pun intended. Of like, is he really her compass <laughs> on this issue? Of like, oh, I'm having a problem. Better go talk to Mark about it. I really In the felt... library. Like, what time? <laughs> yeah, I know. That did feel random. But I really did feel like that was for people like me. Because, you know, this may sound so cheesy with so many long-term couples on that show. And and certainly Crosby and Jasmine were not a long-term couple, but, like, they were a new couple and they were adorable and had all this chemistry. But if you ask me, who's your favorite couple of, of season one parenthood? I would say Sarah and Mark, which is bonkers because they're just in a couple episodes together. It's, you know, why wouldn't I say Adam and Christina? Why wouldn't I say Julia and Joel? But nope, Sarah and Mark. And I imagine other people maybe agreed with me and, and wanted, like, they, they hoped he would come back. But yeah, so. I'll also say, as I said earlier, I know I was hard on Sarah in the previous episode. I had a lot more sympathy for her in this episode. For one thing, in that scene with Mark, her rationale for wanting to leave felt a lot less dramatic mm -hmm. or melodramatic, I should say, when she explained it so calmly. Yeah. When it felt like a knee-jerk reaction to Adam saying, well, do something about it. I just think we should move. Then I was like, that's not helpful. Here, when she laid it out, I was like, okay, I see what you're saying. I still question, it's like, what havoc are you guys wreaking outside of this Steve situation? It seems like one thing went really upside down, but that all in all, you, you're you folding into the family pretty well, aren't you? I don't know. And I you... guess they got arrested for pot and the <laughs> pilot. But... 
you move into your parents' guest house, you find some condoms, suddenly your parents' marriage is over. <laughs> like, I mean, I wonder if she's blaming herself. It's not her fault, although she'll probably make it her fault. You're That's right. what I'm thinking. Like, I'm thinking <laughs> things that are not her fault. I wonder if she's like, but what's the element? The element is I came here. You know, I think when you're that kind of person where you... And I don't mean victim-seeking. I don't mean that. I don't even mean anything bad. I just mean when you're the kind of person who really, truly feels like you make the people around you worse, not better, then maybe you do make things your fault. And like, I actually, that's that speech she gives, or she tries to give to Amber with the coffee, but Amber has run away, you know? <laughs> it was funny, the up with people thing, but God, it broke my heart because she's telling Amber all of these things. Like, you you don't bring everyone down. You, you bring everyone up. But I thought, yeah, it's another one of those cases where Sarah's a stand-in for Amber because she really thinks she brings everyone around her down. Oh, good point. Ugh. And I also thought her backing into the car at the beginning, that made me just unequivocally feel bad for her. Yes. And and you know, like and perhaps she was being careless, like should have been paying more attention to where she was going. But it it was it seemed like a really honest accident. And that it, at that time it would feel like, God, what do I have to do to get a break? Yeah. And I also wrote down, oh no, the Nissan. <laughs> I I bet Nissans are really nice cars. I wish some company would give me one and then I could verify whether that assumption is correct. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ask and ye shall receive. But, yeah, I felt bad for her with that. And I, even though, of course, it's wrong to drive away, I was like, yeah, I would want to do that, too. I totally (laughs) got it. This is not my fault also. Yeah. Can't do it. When she says, I couldn't tell you one more bad thing, I'm like, yep. I get it. I really do. And maybe it's that I do tend to relate a lot more to characters who are always messing up than like Adam. I really don't relate to Adam at all. Like maybe the episode where he felt overwhelmed and overworked. I'm like, okay, I feel that. But for the most part, I'm like, he's a lot more together than I feel. (laughs) I don't think I have a spot to put this in. So I'm just going to say, I wrote down, is Sarah making a good faith effort at baseball? <laughs> I bet she could do better than that. <laughs> She's like, wah! <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned this scene where Sarah talks to Amber through the door and then finds out that she's gone. I just wanted to note that the song there, which I thought was so lovely, I looked it up and it's called Gone Away by Lucy Schwartz, who did the theme song for the international and DVD releases of Parenthood. I... Kind of do that because I watch all the episodes with um, subtitles and I noticed the name Lucy Schwartz, but I would not have recognized that name without you because you said in an earlier episode that she's the one who did. And I didn't realize that. Um, And I really do like the song that she does for the theme. Just not as much, of course, as the Bob Dylan one, but but it is a, a pretty good replacement. After she finds out that she's gone, we have this... This great scene where she and Adam go confront Steve. Oh. Hi. Oh. Hi. Hi, Adam. Honey, Adam Braverman's here. Hi. Oh, Listen, Sarah sorry Braverman. sorry to bother you, but we have an urgent situation on our hands here. My daughter is missing. Who, who is your uh, daughter? This is my sister. My daughter is Amber Holt. My niece. We don't know who Amber Holt is. <laughs> well, that's weird because yeah. um, your son certainly knows who she is. Hi. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi. Have you heard hi. from Amber? No. I, I no, tried what, calling her. Would somebody please tell me what's going on sure, here? Sure, I'd love to. Um, Steve's tried to pressure Hattie, my brother's daughter, into sleeping with him, and then when she wouldn't what? sleep with him, he slept with my daughter instead, and now she's missing. Wait, what are they talking about? I... 
Steve, I want you to go uh, upstairs. No, no, I'm not going upstairs. No, I want you to go upstairs. Have you seen her? Is she all right? That's first off, that's what we need to know. She's missing. Thanks for your concern. Wait a minute. Could someone please tell me what's going on here? Because it sounds like you're blaming Steve for your daughter running away. Oh, that's interesting. No, no one is blaming Steve. In fact, the entire school is calling my daughter a whore, and Steve just comes up smelling like a rose. I'm sorry. Can I just say something? I told you to go upstairs. Listen. Mrs. Holt, Mr. Braverman, yeah. I, I love your daughter. I, I oh, you do, do, do you? Love I thought you loved Hattie. You've got a funny way of showing your affection. You know that? Hey, 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 You've got both these hey, girls hey, feeling miserable. Hey, you are lucky you didn't have sex Adam, with my daughter. Adam, Adam, Adam. I just, I loved the lost tempers and then the immediate apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that until you were actually mouthing with the characters. <laughs> that, that first Sarah and then Adam both go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like they know like, okay, okay, I lost it. This is not what it's about right now. I also loved that they, I feel like they really believably put a spotlight on the double standard that no, Steve has suffered no consequences for any of this stuff no. yet. And his parents seem oblivious that any of this even happened. Which is fascinating, by the way, because it totally parallels an earlier episode where when the last time Adam shows up at their... Well, no, actually, the last time was to drag Hattie out. But the, the first <laughs> time, the first time... Um, Steve's parents know everything and Adam and Christina know nothing. And so this felt comically the opposite, where now Steve's parents have no idea what's going on and they're like, let us fill you in. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't made that connection. I loved it. It was so good. But you're totally right about the double standard. Um, And I hadn't even really thought about that. Yeah, Steve is just feeling fine. He got sex for the first time and, you know, just yeah, nobody nobody is writing horror on his his locker. Yeah. Well, yeah. in that episode, when, you know, like, Amber's trying to eat lunch, but Hattie's friends are calling her names and he sees her, <laughs> his life seems completely unaffected. Yeah. Like, why? I mean, I get why on one hand, but also, well, here's another kind of double standard. So, Hattie's friends are being total jerks to Amber right to her face, but not to Steve's face. I mean, right. they're breaking his CDs at a slumber party, but he doesn't seem to be getting these things at school. Now, I guess they had already broken up. So perhaps they're all suddenly making this distinction of like, okay, no one cheated on anyone, but Amber still owed some allegiance to Hattie that. Steve didn't because they were broken up. So maybe they are understandably more upset with her. But still, it is, you know, like Sarah says, and Adam, both of these girls are really miserable and Steve's life seems to be just progressing on as normal. Yeah. That's not right. No, it's not. And I like that you're you're looking for like a reason for Hattie's friend's behavior. But I think that part of it really is that there is this this double standard where sometimes people are angrier with the the per, you know with with the woman than with the man and i'm not sure why that is but it's it's really upsetting i don't know i mean steve steve it's is funny, just, just as responsible. not to interrupt but now yeah. that you say that i know we've talked about like you know you have to say man whore you yeah. have to say male stripper if i say the word homewrecker to you yeah what do you think of that had never occurred to me but it's like a homewrecker is a woman yes yeah which, you know, I am I I don't have numbers. I'd be willing to bet that men with families cheat more than women. Maybe I'm wrong, but... I mean, I would guess like, that too, but you're totally right. Like, and, and you know... Oh, although maybe now, I, now I'm answering perhaps my own insinuation. 
if the man is cheating, then the mistress is labeled the homewrecker. For a man to be wrecking a home, he would have to be cheating with a married woman. So maybe that happens less. Huh. So what's the but, term for the man but, cheating then? What 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 term does he get? A cheater? Well, that's another thing. I mean, what do you call a male mistress? Yeah. That's, There's no, I mean. It's just very sexist language. and. Yeah. And language matters, you know, like the words we use matter. And, and, you know, it's interesting how often I'll have students say things like, well, I don't know that there's a lot of sexism, you know, but then I'll point out something like, well, the reason that we we try to say police officer instead of police man is, you know, what if the default were a police woman? And then suddenly my students will get that. They're like, oh, of course, you know, but they don't get it when it's police man. And maybe this is a silly example, but it just... The idea that the default is man for words like police or firefighter, you know, fireman, you know, like for good things. But the default is bad when it's a woman, you know, and it's it's a stripper or, a, you know, you think of a woman. I, I don't know. It just bothers me, I guess. And it's something that feels very important in this episode where, yeah, no one is writing anything on Steve's locker. Steve's life is progressing, as you said. And... I don't mean that he should be tortured or anything like that, but it just certainly isn't fair. And well, and he yeah. he very well may be. I mean, he says that he's he feels bad about it, mm-hmm. and I believe that I do too. He's he's getting to feel bad in private. Yes, that's nice. <laughs> Must be nice. Must be nice. Yeah, his family isn't falling. Neither apart. Amber nor Hattie are getting that. No. Anyway, so they go to Fresno looking for uh, Amber, and. Adam mentions, yeah, how could I forget the raisin capital of the world? (laughs) Interestingly, (laughs) well, again, you be the judge. (laughs) Fresno is the raisin capital of the world. More accurately, there's a nearby city in Fresno County called Selma, and they produce over 90% of the world's raisin crop. So they really, I think they really are the California raisins. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea. And then their scene bursting into Damien, I thought was so funny. I particularly loved Sarah's line. This is a brand new girl. I wrote that down too, her delivery. <laughs> this is a brand new girl. It was so good. Cracked me up. And then like when Damien's like, close the door. And Adam goes back up the stairs to do it. She's like, oh my God, you're the politest person I know. <laughs> that, you know, I know we haven't talked about their chemistry in a while, but I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Close the door. (laughs) Their chemistry was fantastic in this episode. I felt like it had been a while since we'd gotten just them being funny together. It's been so much dramatic stuff. And it's interesting that I would even say that because it's the season finale and Amber's missing. So there's plenty of drama to be had. But they are just having a lot of like banter back and forth and a lot of really kind of fun moments and i'm like man they really do have fantastic chemistry like i they're believable as siblings but i i truly get why they are a couple in real life because you know they have that that banter thing that i love they really do and i love how quickly their dynamics can change like when they go confront Steve, they seem united on the same team. And then, I mean, right after they go to Damien's, then Sarah calls Amber on the phone and doesn't get her and leaves her a message. And that's just heartbreaking. And they feel very united again, but sympathetic towards one another. Yeah. And then he gets pulled over and she confesses to the light. And then they're sniping at each other. And that seems really believable. 
all these turns are like on a dime, but I buy them all. And I think that is another great sign of a kind of chemistry that they don't just have one dynamic. They can be mad at each other and it still feels real and they can be happy for one another and it feels real. Every way feels real. Yeah. You know, with the exception of the fight after the the walkathon when Adam is so angry with Sarah, he really for the most part hasn't seemed all that angry with her, not the way Christina was, you know? And I just kept being struck in this episode how Christina would treat Sarah. And then in a subsequent scene, he's just sitting next to Sarah in the booth while all the siblings are having breakfast. And he seems mad at her, not at all. You know, like he just seems like, that's my sister, you know, and and hopefully not like he's choosing sides, like he's choosing his sister over his wife, but just that maybe he doesn't feel like he has to choose sides, you know, that that he can love both of them. And you know, the the way that Christina seems to need to make it constantly apparent that she has chosen Hattie and that she is mad at Sarah. Adam is like, you know, can't things be complicated? Can't I help Drew and still be on Hattie's side? You know, do, do those have to conflict? Maybe. But, you know, I think in his mind, no. Isn't it complicated? And I think yeah. for Christina, it was kind of simple. It was like, nope, they're bad. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one element we haven't discussed yet is Zeke and Julia. Oh yeah, in this episode, and Tim, 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 <laughs> Tim, Tim. <laughs> I thought that Zeke's blow up at Tim was was so frustrating and so complex. Because on one hand, I actually appreciated that he called Tim out a little bit on Tim's subtle digs. I'm a straight you know, shooter. <laughs> Joel didn't. Yeah, and I liked that Zeke said, "Don't patronize me." Don't insult my intelligence. And I know Tim is saying, well, that's not what I was trying to do. I, I just don't believe him. No. And maybe he's not aware of it. He could be condescending. To- totally consciously. But, you know, when Zeke says, give me a minute. And then Tim says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going too fast for you. Just let me know. What? That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I need he to process. Saying, you just handed me a stack of documents. Let me look at what we're discussing. You're not going too fast for me. I, 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 and yes, it was nice it was nice to see someone direct, you know, in the way that Mark was direct. Please don't leave. I like to like, don't insult my intelligence. But then obviously <laughs> he it just goes, goes on and on and on the and rails. it escalates. <laughs> and with Camille there, you could tell, I mean, she was great in that scene, even though she did not think she had any lines. You could see how embarrassing it is to her. Yeah. I mean, she's literally rolling her eyes at some point or like covering her eyes. And you just realize how long she has been standing by idiotic and embarrassing behavior like that. It, it would be humiliating. And how many times has this happened to her in her marriage? Who pounds the table and shouts, I consider myself too big to fail? <laughs> what? <laughs> Someone who sees themselves as you know, larger than life I character. Guess. And then when Julia confronts him, oh, poor Julia. Yeah. You know, and Zeke assures her, I know what I'm doing. I don't think he does. I don't either. And I felt so bad for her because she and Joel had a huge fight about Tim. And they only turned to him in an effort to help Zeke. Yeah. It cost her a lot to ask for that favor. And then for him to just dismiss it like that. And I thought her outburst at him was so perfectly awkward. Mm-hmm. I wrote down, I was like, I bet Julia can chew people out with confidence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's she's in a position of power. I doubt that she does it often, but I bet she can. Yes. 
But what when it's your dad, Ugh. it's totally different. Someone you spent your whole life looking up to and respecting and and I thought that came across. It's like she can't even the rhythm of the blow up is like, Dad, you're stupid pride. I just that was a serious it's like she can't ever get on a roll. It's like, yeah, it's because every like message in her brain is saying why are you doing this don't do this this is your father oh. and then she's like i'm sorry i'm yelling that was the part that really got me as to yell yeah. i'm sorry for yelling in the middle of your yelling and yeah i just thought it was great and and then it, now adam crosby and julia have all confronted him yeah and i especially thought crosby and julia both said you could lose I think Julia lists more things. Yeah, the Crosby house. Crosby says, you're going to lose her. Yeah. And Julia says, you could lose everything, the house, mom. I wonder if that, those are the wake-up calls that all add up to him finally doing something. But Wow. You know, the part of um, Zeke's talk to Julia that I really wasn't sure about was when he said that Tim was doing all this because he wanted to get in Julia's pants. And I simultaneously thought that was so insulting, but I also don't think much of Tim. So I thought he could be right. <laughs> you know, he could be right that this yeah. is the only reason why he would help her. But even if he is right, I thought that was a shitty thing to say to Julia. Like the idea that no one would respect her enough, like that, that she, the, like that's her only value or something. Like, I know that's not what Zeke thinks, but for him to frame it like that's your only value to anyone that would be hard to hear from your dad, I think, is like he's not helping you because he respects who you are. Just he wants in your pants to, to minimize it that way. I don't know. Did you have a thought about that at all? Well, there was a deleted scene Ooh. in this episode, and it was between Zeke and Julia. It's him saying, if your friend Tim will still speak to you, mm. tell him I'll take the deal. Oh, wow. Which I thought was nice because we didn't, that's information we didn't have. And I was wondering at the end of the episode when I watched it, you know, without the deleted scene, like, well, what happens with all these financial problems? And I couldn't remember in coming episodes what happened. So I was really like, none of these financial things have been resolved, right? He's still in massive debt. Oh, my God. I hope they mention that in season two. Yeah, but there was a deleted scene where he, where he says, you know, if he'll still talk to you. And she says, I have some sway with him. And she kind of laughs about it. And she might even say something like, he likes me. I mean, she basically admits, Oh, yeah, because he has the hots for me, I can get him to do whatever I want. Wow. I'll do that and we'll get you this deal. Man. Well, when Christina and Hattie pick up Amber, they pick her up at a location called the Halfway House Cafe, which is not in Gilroy, California, but Santa Clarita, California. And I looked it up because it, it looked so distinctive and I could see the name on the front of the building. So I'm like, oh, maybe I can Google that name and see what I can find. It's frequently used in film and TV because it's a sort of rural looking diner and location that's actually very close to L.A. I found online it says that it has been seen in Gilmore Girls, Heroes, Melrose Place, CSI, ER, Monk, Waitress, Georgia Rule, Lost in America, and in the Pepsi commercial featuring Cindy Crawford, it's her in a white tank top and Daisy yes. Duke cutoffs, and she's getting the <gasps> uh, can of Pepsi so out of the famous. vending machine. Yes. Yeah, that's there. Well, okay, now I'm thinking, what was that that diner or that cafe in Gilmore Girls? Like, can you? I couldn't think of it. I, I don't know. Would it have been either. a year in the life um, instead of the actual show? 
let me search. I'm gonna just gonna Google Gilmore Girls halfway. I wonder if it's in a year in the life before she like before Lorelai goes to call her mom with oh. that scene about like here's my real memory of dad. Lorelai at halfway house coffee, attempting to get. Oh, I think you're right. Gilmore Girls: A Year in the Life, Episode Four, Fall. Oh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's like she walks around that building in theory. Yes, because this whatever this website is, I guess I could just share it with you. Oh, fun! So here, Lorelai at the halfway house cafe attempting to get coffee. There it is. Oh yeah. And then doesn't she come out of there and like walk? Yes. Over, put her bags down. And then she goes around the building to this. Yes. To that monologue. Yep. Note, this is not behind the Halfway House Cafe. She's probably at the top of the grassland trail at the park. Huh. But it is certainly a distinctive looking location. Then the scene with Amber and Sarah when they get home is so beautiful. And I vividly remembered this <laughs> the fir- these first opening lines because they're so funny. They are. You know... I was your age. I slept with my cousin's boyfriend. Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> I didn't do that. I smoked and drank a lot. That's why you're so short. <laughs> you know, you try to act so tough, but I just know who you are. And I want you to know I see you. I see how smart you are and how funny you are how brave you are and I'm just so proud of you and I'm just so glad that you're my kid thanks for coming for me I'm really glad you're my mom oh my god I can't take it (laughs) I know we really gotta get it together (laughs) You know, I've seen in lots of interviews that Mae Whitman and Lauren Graham are like best friends. And I'm assuming that happened pretty fast, but I, who knows? And then I know that there's often a fair amount of improvising allowed. And I've seen Mae Whitman specifically say, we'll have scenes in the script where we're not supposed to be crying, but then we get together and we just both end up crying because oh. it's just, we're so, we're bringing so much of ourselves to it and our real relationship and it just happens. And that made the last two lines in that scene feel very improvised to me. <laughs> like that that it's Lauren Graham saying, oh my God, I can't take it. And then Mae Whitman saying, yeah, we really got to get it together. But it was so, per- and maybe Jason Cadence wrote it. Whatever it is, I thought it was so perfect that the scene had, it started with a joke, it ended with a joke. And then I literally was crying in between. Uh, I thought it was so beautiful. Yes. And again, like such great parenting it's clearly not the time to be like, what were you thinking? Yeah. How dare you leave? That's not going to be effective. Yeah. What's effective is... Compassion. Yeah. I'm glad you're my kid. Uh, You know, I really loved that the same episode had that scene and the Christina and Hattie in the car scene that we discussed earlier because I thought they were both excellent examples of, you know, parenting done right. But it, they're, they're just such different dynamics that you really see that their relationships are totally different. Hattie and Christina, I don't know, it's it, they're able to have heart-to-hearts, but first, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. 
maybe maybe I've already said it. Maybe I don't have to say anything else. I I don't know. But it well, Sarah and Amber seem so real with each other. Yeah, like they're always real with each other. And then those moments between Hattie and Christina, when they're real with each other, it feels so tentative. Like yes, can, can I dare to be honest with you? Yes, you can, and I'll dare not to say something critical about it. It's just it feels so effortful where Sarah and Amber. Despite their many problems in other areas, being honest with each other in a way yeah. seems effortless to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly it. And it's why, like, when Mark earlier in the episode said to Sarah, you know, I think you're an incredible mother. And I thought, me too! I keep saying <laughs> it. But, you know, she's always so hard on herself. But, man... She is just real with Amber in a way that I imagine is very difficult to pull off, you know, and and they just have so much trust and it just looks like the worst relationship because there's all this friction, but I don't think friction is always such a bad sign. I mean, I think there's a lot of repression with Hattie. There's a lot of Hattie not telling her parents the truth. Whereas Sarah is sometimes upset that Amber is too honest with her. (laughs) You know, like it's, (laughs) she'll she'll say, you know, oh, she doesn't even respect me enough to lie. (laughs) You know, but, but really she respects her too much to lie. And I think Hattie sees her parents as the enemy sometimes, even though she trusts them and and feels safe with them. She, she knows they'll violate her privacy. She does feel. When I said, yeah, I think she sees them that way largely because of their behavior. Yeah. She's right to see them that Why way. Why did you dye your hair? Tell us now. Yeah. It's like, God. you know, what, what would have happened if she would have walked into the kitchen and they would have said, wow, that's a new look. What, what, what brings this on? I like it. It looks good. Because, you know, yeah. Christina even says it looks cute. You know, so like, yeah, what would be the problem? Lead with that. Lead with that. <laughs> your hair looks cute. What, what, what brought this on? Just time for a change? <laughs> Instead of, oh, God, you know, and just, yeah. We're just trying to understand what's happening. I don't recognize her literally. It's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, my... Maybe not my last little bit of inane trivia, <laughs> but something, a reference I didn't know. So I looked up when Adam is taking pitches from Drew at the end. He tells Camille, oh, we got, a, he's like, he's like Catfish Hunter. <laughs> I didn't know who that was. I didn't either. His name was James Augustus Hunter, nicknamed Catfish. He was a pitcher for the Kansas City A's, which then relocated to Oakland and um, hugely successful. He died of ALS oh, wow. at the age of 53, which oh. I thought was tragic, in 1999, I believe. He's also the subject of a Bob Dylan song called Catfish. Oh, huh. I totally believe Adam would make that reference. Yeah. Plays for the A's, Bob Dylan song. Yeah. It all lines up. And who doesn't like the name Catfish? <laughs> you know? It's whimsical. The last clip I want to play is the scene between... Zeke and Camille. Camille. What? It's the boys' tryout. Well, you go to the tryout then. I'm staying here. They can come back after and I'll make them lunch. They can tell me about it. I'd like us to go together. Oh, that's not going to happen. Damn it. Look, I want you back. It's not that easy. And I just have to have some room to find out who I am. I don't know who I am. I love being a mother. 
And for a good deal of the time, I love being a wife, but I just feel like I got swallowed up somewhere. And that's why you did what you did, because you looked at me and you couldn't see me anymore. I see you now. Because you're scared. Camille, I want to spend the rest of the time that we have together making our lives good. I'm going to sing now. Oh, no, you're not. Yeah. You are not. Yeah. Oh, oh, Zeke. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, Zeke. I love her indignation at the end. <laughs> Again, you can read so much history into it. <laughs> like, oh, how many times in her life has she said, oh, for God's sake, Zeke. <laughs> I also really love <laughs> just there's no transition into I'm going to sing now. <laughs> like, you know, it just, it made me laugh. I was, I even remembered it from previous viewings and it still surprised me because I remembered, I didn't remember that there was like no transition into it. I don't know. It made me laugh. Well, let's talk about the singing perhaps first. Okay. Even though it's kind of trivial. It was definitely a sweet gesture. Yes. But man, oh man, is that tidy. <laughs> and like, he sings like one verse of the song and everything's okay. I, it was I, the second thing to remind me of the movie in this episode. Yeah. It reminded me of Rick Moranis. Yes. I'm like, this is a family that is won over by singing gestures. <laughs> I get just different incarnations. And I just thought in both the movie and in this scene, I'm like, well, you didn't actually fix anything. <laughs> you know, just right. how is the song... I mean, maybe it's symbolic, uh, but I I, I... I wished that somehow they could make it clear. I mean, I'm not sure this is what was happening, but I would have liked it a lot better if somehow they could make it clear that the song got her to go to the game. Mm. But that was all that it yeah. did. Yeah. Because that I would buy. Yeah. If it's like, hey, we're all going right now to Drew's tryout. Won't you come? No, I won't come. We're not going to go together. And I sing you this sweet song and that it's like the first, the first chink in the armor or something to come out. Then I would, I would buy it. Yeah. But it, it certainly did seem like, Hey, you know, all the marital problems they've been having for the last several episodes or really kind of for the whole season. Yeah. He sang a song to her. It's fine now. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's too tidy. And then it, it also felt really abrupt. I mean, he sings and then bam, the episode and thus the season are over yeah. like 30 seconds later. And again, it's not that I didn't like the song. It was so sweet. It made me smile. And and actually the song itself, I'm Into Something Good. I love that song. It's by Carol King and mm. Jerry Goffin. Themselves a married couple when they wrote it. I love that. I also love or I appreciate that that song came out in 1964, which is 46 years before this episode. So it's probably their how long song. Zeke says they were married. So yeah, it seems like believable that it could have been their song or a song around the time Ugh. when they got married. I don't know if they were paying that close of attention when they chose the song, but maybe I loved that it could be possible. Ugh. But yeah, it just, it felt so tidy. So like wrapped up in a bow when so much leading up to it, I felt like hadn't been. I felt the same way. And I thought, what Camille was saying to him was so valid and I loved the way she expressed it. And it felt 
just, yeah, her saying that she got swallowed up. I'm like, you would get swallowed up by him and he wouldn't even notice, you know, like for all his wonderful qualities, he wouldn't even notice. And I was especially struck when she said, and that's why you did what you did. You stopped seeing me. And he said, I see you now. He did not defend himself against that or, or contradict it. He didn't say, no, I always saw you. It wasn't that. He, so he basically admits oh, he took true. her for granted and that he stopped seeing her. But I see you now. Isn't that enough? Not really, Zeke. You know, like it's... it's, it's I mean, as she rightly points out, because you're scared. I think she's right about that. Yes. And I think he loves her. And I think that yeah. he wants to spend the rest of the time they have left make, making... What does he say? I loved his phrasing. I, I was really taken by that. I want to... Making our life good? Making our life... Yeah, I thought... Is that what he said? It is what he said. And I thought that was just a little clumsy, you know, and not not so eloquent. I thought that was a lovely thing to say, and it felt very real. But just because you want that doesn't mean you deserve that. You did these awful things. And yes, two to tango. And yes, she did, you know, she she slept with Matthew and all of that. But... It just feels like he wants to smooth it over with no real effort or change. You know, I, I, I saw no signs that he was willing to change. And, and I'm concerned about that. I agree with you about what she said. I thought it was so articulate and smart and perceptive. I certainly believe that he would be willing to change. I guess I question his ability mm. to change. Yeah. And like you said, nothing he did demonstrated any new ability to change. I also think it's interesting in the course of this episode, Crosby says you have to fight for her. And so this is what fighting for her looks like. And it's something I feel like, well, you especially, I feel like have articulated well to me the problems with a lot of rom-com plot lines where it's like the guy determined to get the girl, even though she's uninterested, (laughs) is the plot of so many of these movies. That's not a great message because in real life, if someone says I'm not interested, you should probably just respect that and not push yourself or force yourself into their world. And while this isn't exactly the same, I think you could certainly see the parallels of like, I don't think Camille wants a song, you know, yeah. <laughs> at that moment. And, you know, she's talking to you. She's telling you all these really well-articulated points. I think having a conversation about that would be really constructive. But no, he just makes this big gesture. And then I think he hopes that will it will solve all the problems. And in a way, it, it sort of felt like her whole family's watching. I mean... And maybe she just genuinely loved it. I hope she did. Me too. But now that I'm saying it, it kind of reminds me of when she tells Julia, you know, don't put pressure on me to make it work. And this felt like a form of pressure. Yeah. Hey, Camille, I'm going to corner you in front of the whole family and make a, a gesture that everyone here will think is really sweet. Yeah. Can you imagine if she said, no, I'm not going to the game with you <laughs> after that? Yeah. You know, then the story of the day would be, God, grandma was such a bitch to grandpa. Uh, 
Well, and like that's not fair. Same I, I in the movie. Um, you know, it's it's what Nathan and Susan are their names, and it's in front of her students. It's at her place of work. You know, and and these things, yeah, that are built up to be romantic. If you just put the slightest micro, you know, microscope on top of it, you're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> and I mean, how much better would it have been if he'd agreed to go to therapy, or how much better would it have been if he had apologized for having an affair, or? Anything that could actually be the first step in real change. But this is not a man who is afraid to be the center of attention while everyone looks at him singing a song. That's right in his wheelhouse. I I feel like that's not being vulnerable. That's not putting himself out there. That's just everybody going, aw, and he gets to look really good. And Yeah. yeah. Well, and jumping off what you just said, I I also agreed. I think my favorite line in Camille's part of that scene was when she said, you know, I I got swallowed up and that's why you did what you did because you couldn't see me. I I agree with you. I like that he didn't contest that. No, I did see you. But how powerful would it have been if he owned his mistake? Yes. Because in a way, while I agree with her, I think it's actually really well articulated to say, because I lost my identity, that motivated you to look for someone who hadn't. I think she's right, but there is a little element of it being her fault. Right, and it's not. And even though I don't think that's what she's saying, you know, if he had jumped to her defense and said, I was wrong not to see you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry that I let that happen. Mm -hmm. I took you for granted. Yeah, so that it's like, yes, Camille, your assessment is right, but where you're pinning the blame I think it's unfair to you. It was my fault that I didn't see you, not your fault that you got swallowed up. I should have been helping you not get swallowed. I mean, the stuff like that would be maybe not as captivating as a ukulele <laughs> rendition. But I mean, but, and yet, like I keep saying, I did like the song. It's not that the gesture, it wasn't a swing and a miss for me. It was just a sort of like, it just felt cheap. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I thought Craig T. Nelson Yeah, I mean, he's uh, great. And, you know, I mean, his voice was just kind of perfect because he's not like a wonderful singer, but he's good enough and he's got this, you know, charisma. And I just said he wasn't vulnerable, but maybe it was slightly. I don't know. He was putting himself out there. And I guess... He was he was trying. And as long as this isn't it, like we better come back season two and there better be more than just this song. Right. There, there better be, <laughs> there better be some real strides because I, I think that's what it is. And, and it's not like I'm opposed to a gesture, but I do think that media, film, TV, it portrays it as though that's enough or like that's how problems get solved. That's how you get the girl. And that's that's not actually how any of this works. You know, It's it's got to be, she has real valid concerns. And she slept with someone too, which I think that needs to be a conversation, you know, and, and you know, why, why did you feel like that, you know, driven to do that? And I mean, they, they just, they need to have some really honest <laughs> talks yeah. with each other. Although I am interested to know your opinion. Like I, I kind of liked that when, Sarah and Adam told Crosby and Julia that Zeke had cheated on Camille. I liked that they didn't say that Camille then slept with someone else. Not that I think she gets a pass per se, but they do just feel like very different things. Like Camille's action felt retaliatory. And I do think it was one time Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I what did you think? Did, I kind of liked that they didn't bring it up. It, it felt like at this point in time, it would almost be like obscuring the actual huh. issue. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think about it till you just said that. But the thing that I appreciated was later when Crosby's confronting Zeke and he says, you know, she stood by you for 40 years. You did this to her and she did nothing. I liked that Zeke didn't correct him, that Zeke didn't say, hey, she cheated with this, you know, artist teacher, Matthew. I like that he just said it's complicated. And and, and in fact, even when when Crosby's like, oh, really? Is it super complicated? Like, <laughs> which I loved. I, I think Zeke easily could have said, yeah, it is complicated. She slept with someone too. I love that he didn't do that. That felt very respectful of Camille. And so I think I'm right there with you. It's kind of a similar thing. I just noticed something different and I didn't notice what you noticed. Um, But yeah, I do think it's different what Camille did because she did it while her husband was not living in the house. So technically, I think they're separated. You know, I mean, maybe they're still married. They were on a break. They were on a break. (laughs) But, you know, and I do think that it never would have happened without his affair. And it's, yeah, two wrongs don't make a right. But I, I think she was really hurting I think it was solace for her. I don't think it was taking him for granted. I think it was weirdly her trying to find herself. Like, who am I aside from my husband? Am I desirable? Am I valuable? Am I someone that someone would notice? And so that may seem like a strange thing to say, but I think in a way it was like a step on, on her finding herself again. Yeah. While I appreciated that her transgression didn't get thrown into the family mix, I do agree with you, though, that it's something she and he will have to yes. work through, you know. Yeah. But I, maybe that's just what I liked, that it's like, this is between them. And like, yeah, his dirty laundry got aired, and that's fair. You know, like, he made his bed. But if those things can be kept private, I think they have a right to some privacy. And I, I liked that hers was kept a little more private. I mean, Sarah and Adam know, but for once, they're keeping their fat trap <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of like an earlier scene that we talked about. <laughs> no, I loved it. Um, earlier when Sarah and Camille have that scene and Sarah says, I know it's none of my business. And Camille says, yeah, actually, it is none of your business. But here's an update. And I thought... I'm simultaneously proud of Camille for saying, yeah, you know what? It is none of your business. But then I'm like, but the whole reason Sarah knows is that... <laughs> You have no boundaries with each other and, you know, you, you've confided in her. And yeah, I, I just thought it's not Sarah just overstepping. It's there, there, There's a lot of confusion about what's appropriate and what's not because there are not clear boundaries in this family. Yeah. In that last little montage over Zeke's song, I liked some little visual elements like Christina and Sarah obviously reconciled Mm. and then i like drew at one point rolling his eyes (laughs) at his boisterous family (laughs) he's so quiet (laughs) i know it's like i hope he makes the team yeah it also occurred to me in one shot where they're like doing sprints i thought how'd you like to be the guy who gets cast as the other person running whose instruction i'm sure is like just don't run as fast as miles (laughs) so that he looks really fast I don't care how fast you run, just not as fast as him. (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought this this whole episode I thought was a nice bookend hmm. to the season because in the pilot we had Drew running away. <laughs> That's and true. now we have Amber running away and we had baseball in the pilot and then it ends you know, the season ends with baseball. Only this time it's a character who actually wants to play baseball. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was Joel in this episode? <laughs> like, yes. I know he was literally, but. Um, I don't know if he says anything though. I know he's in. Or like one or two lines. It just, it was like, yeah. oh, okay. They just, like, they didn't have enough for everyone, I guess. I guess. He's at the dinner with Tim. Um, it's just such a big cast. Sometimes people have to get kind of, the you know, short end of the stick and all that. Yeah. Kind of a bummer in the season finale, though. Well, for this episode, it sure seemed like fighting for what you want mm. was a common theme. Yeah. Or even just, I mean, this this feels painfully predictable <laughs> for a season finale, but re- the idea of resolution itself felt like a theme because you, you had Crosby and Jasmine and Jabbar and Julia fighting for Zeke, Zeke fighting for Camille, Mark and Sarah I guess, you know, Mark is in a way fighting for her. Camille sort of fighting for her own dignity and her own identity. Hattie for her own identity. Sarah fighting for Amber. Drew fighting for the team. Yeah, it's Um, my team. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have to say, though, I thought it was, I mean, overall, I think it was a great episode. But the fact that the theme of the episode could accurately be described as resolution Mm -hmm. Also, I think, speaks to one of its flaws, which is just, it is a little predictable. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, all these storylines are just wrapped up. Yeah. So, of course, it's satisfying because by now I certainly love these characters and I'm happy to see them return to some kind of balance, especially after the very most recent episodes were kind of painful to watch. Yeah. I'm trying to think, were there any cliffhangers? Like, are Zeke and Camille for sure back together? Is is Crosby for sure moving to New York? Do you know what I mean? Like those seem like they're resolved, but then I'm like, well, Jasmine doesn't say yes. She says you're full of surprises with a smile on her face. But are we to interpret that as, okay, yep, he's moving to New York. And, you know, Camille goes to the game, but are we to interpret that as, yep, their marital problems are over, Um I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I guess I feel like there are questions. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd call them cliffhangers. Yeah, I think I do right. wonder, do they still have money problems, especially without that deleted scene? Mm. It's like, who's paying for this? And then are they really back together? The song did it. That's all it took. Are Hattie and Amber really okay? Yeah. And then is he actually moving to New York? And what does that mean for a second season if he doesn't live there yeah and will jabbar get in the opening credits it makes me think that (laughs) yeah (laughs) come on that's the most important one of all it makes me think that i'm surprised that they knew they were coming back because it seems like you could have crosby say he's going to move to new york if you think this might be it, you know, like just these 13 episodes. I could even see Jason Ritter coming back as, you know, evidence of we don't know if we're coming back because it could be like, well, here's a hint at perhaps Sarah's happy ending, you know, and and so it's it, it seems like maybe you would wrap everything up in a bow if you're not sure you're coming back. But it sounds like they knew. So that's interesting. Like, why not? Although I want they may not have known when they fell time. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I certainly want to spend more time with them. Yeah. You know? Did you have any any thoughts on, you know, now that we're at the end of a season? Yeah. Any thoughts on the season as a whole coming back to it, you know, five years later? 
you know, I I know a lot of people say that first seasons are often like one of the worst seasons of a show because they just haven't yeah f- figured out their tone or whatever yet. But I thought it was really pretty outstanding. I you know, just I very much enjoyed it, and all the things that I remember loving about the show, I feel like were present in the first season. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I had a similar. If you had asked me, I would have said. Oh, yeah, Parenthood takes a while to get going. But it's stronger than I remember yeah. season one. And and maybe, since my memory isn't great, maybe season one is just different in some ways than the subsequent seasons. I don't know. And maybe that's why I, I think of it differently. But, yeah, I agree. I thought it felt very consistent. Uh, the only thing I, I might say felt different than what I really remember. Perhaps season one was a little light on continuing storylines. A lot of the episodes in season one felt more or less self-contained. Yeah. That everything was wrapped up by the end of the episode. My memory is that, oh, in later seasons, you can't just pick up on a random episode. Everything leads into the next one, into the next one, into the next one. That'll be fun when we have guests on who have never seen the show before. We'll be like, plop, you know? But yeah. No, I think I think that's true. Um, I was trying to think of like a fun, reflective thing. And, and the only good question I could come up with was, did you have a favorite episode of the season? Because I thought of mine. Why don't you go first? Okay, give you a chance to think of yours. But mine is the big O. Um, I was going back through my notes, trying to, you know, remember what each episode was about. And I what, here, what I remember loving about that episode was number one, it was both so funny with like drunk Christina and everything, but also feeling sexy. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> yes. And then also just so real, like when she spilled her guts to, to Gabby, you know, that just felt so intense and, and just ugh, really powerful. And of course my favorite episode was going to have, um, you know, Jason Ritter in it. And that was the first kiss with Sarah. And so I thought, oh, that, yeah, that was really, really so good. I, I loved it. But then um, I think maybe what really makes it take the cake is that's the episode where Crosby tells his parents about Jabbar. And uh, it, Crosby's just like MVP of that episode. I think it's the same one. Oh, and it's the Julia Joel conflict where she finds out that he kissed Raquel. And that's one of my favorite conflicts between the two of them. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the whole episode I just thought was really fantastic. So when I was going back through my notes, I'm like, I think it's got to be that one for me. I think I did write this down. I think Namaste No More might be my favorite. I'm not sure I can say why, although, like I said in that episode, I remember watching that one, and I remember that's when the conflict between Zeke and Camille Mm. stopped feeling like a back burner plotline and felt like an actual threat. Like, oh, the bedrock of this family might split apart. Maybe just because of when I first watched it and what was going on in my life at the time, but it really had such an impact. And I think that dinner scene about the money, that just really hit home with me. And in the series, it felt like, oh, this is going to a level that I maybe wasn't prepared for. Yeah. Because I don't remember anything else (laughs) that happened (laughs) in that episode. I mean, except Jabbar playing soccer, which was fun, but you know, not one of my favorite storylines. Although that is the episode where Steve and Hattie break up. Yes. I liked that. And I liked Amber flirting with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was mine. That's a really good pick too. I think those are both. It's funny. Do you have 
a favorite character based on this season? Because I I'll go first. Okay, if you don't yeah, mind. you go first. I think that Crosby is my favorite character really? from this season. He has such a huge transformation, but it feels so believable. He feels flawed to me, but in very real ways. Mm-hmm. And I like seeing, I mean, it's very gratifying to see someone endeavoring to become a better person than they have been. I love that. I love his chemistry with Jabbar oh, yeah. and with Jasmine and with the whole rest of his family. And he's such a bright light of comedy in what can be a very heavy show. And the show is funnier than I remember all around. <laughs> but even he feels different compared to everyone else. And yet he feels like he totally belongs. He was just always fun and yet can totally carry his weight when he has dramatic work to do. That being said, I think Zeke feels like the most multifaceted. Huh complicated character. I mean, we talked about it in this discussion already. You see a lot of really unflattering sides of him. Yeah. But there's also maybe just as many times throughout the season where you can go, oh, I loved Zeke there. What a great guy. What a great dad. That they can pull off such vastly different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Within one character, I think is really impressive and impressive on Craig T. Nelson's part as well. And he's often very funny. Yeah. And he's often infuriating and moving and all of that. I I wouldn't say he's my favorite. He's not so easily lovable as someone (laughs) like Crosby, but he might be the character I was most impressed with. Yeah. You know, I might have said Crosby as my favorite character because I really, man, I love Crosby so much. And we've talked about it before. He was definitely, his was the, the performance that surprised me the most. Um, I just hadn't known Dak Shepard from very much before Parenthood. And he sure showed me. <laughs> you know, I just think <laughs> he's, he's just wonderful. Yeah, everything you said, I couldn't agree more. But I feel like it's not very fun if I pick the same character. So I'm going to pick a different character. <laughs> and um Mark, no I'm kidding. <laughs> well, man, I that's my favorite couple. So maybe I'll ask you that question later. But um I think in an earlier episode I said that Crosby was one of my two favorite characters on the show, and the other character I meant was Amber. I really love Amber, and I think she's pretty fantastic in season one, even though for much of it, she's kind of in the background. But anytime she's called to do anything, man, is it good. And she, yeah, has to do some things that could look really bratty, you know, like she runs away in this episode or, you know, yeah, sleeping with her, you know, cousin's ex-boyfriend. And I feel like you just always get why she's doing what she's doing. And I get the sense that she's just trying so hard to be the best version of herself, but she's just young and she's had all this trauma in her life. Um, Well, hardship might be a better word, but yeah, I mean, a father who was addicted to drugs, maybe trauma, you know? And, And I just think Mae Whitman is phenomenal. And amen. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite parent-child dynamic. It's it's a real toss-up between Crosby and Jabbar and then um, Sarah and Amber. And I think for me, maybe Sarah and Amber just barely gets the edge. I would agree. Well, there, theirs is more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's more rewarding. Yeah. Crosby and Jabbar are just adorable. Yeah, they're the cutest. <laughs> well, he's basically 
Jabbar, like age wise, like maturity in some way, like in cute ways. Like when he's <laughs> yeah. when he says things like, We're just two dudes in search of a science city and some pizza, I'm like, that's as much for Jabbar as or for Crosby as it is for Jabbar. Yeah. You know, that sounds like a fun day to him. It's part of why he's a good dad. He's fun loving. Yeah. What about what is your favorite couple? Because I answered that earlier. Do you have a favorite couple? It's strange. I'm I kind of want to say Zeke and Camille. Wow. I think just because I appreciate the conflict between them so much. I really enjoyed that. But it also makes me realize I don't think we see much of them together Mm. in this season. No, I guess we don't. I I certainly think we see more of them apart than together. So it's hard to say that, oh, I love them together. When are they together when they meet Jabbar and they're together for the vomit story? Like, (laughs) yeah. They're, but they're not together all that much. But you do get a sense of how they interact with each other and their dynamic. and Yeah. I'll, I'll just say them. Okay. I mean, they're my first, that's my first instinct. But again, I think I'm saying it less in the like, I enjoy watching them so much. That's not it. I just appreciate how their relationship is sort of rendered in the series. Mm. That it, it feels really layered. It feels like there's a lot of history there. I feel like I understand why they're together. Mm -hmm. It's not like, what drew these people together in the first place? I think I understand that. Yeah. And I think I understand why they've stayed together so long. And I think I understand why they're having problems now. They're, They're a fascinating pair. Yeah. And, I mean, we've said this probably a million times, but something you said about Mae Whitman, that a lot of times she's in the background, but when she's asked to come forward and and do something she really delivers, that might be the the most accurate thing I think you could say about the whole cast mm. and what makes it such an impressive show. Because there are so many characters, everyone is in the background sometimes. Yes. And, you know, we've noted that frequently people aren't even in episodes. Yeah. But everyone, when they are called upon to be the center of a storyline or of an episode, everyone delivers. It's like a whole lineup of designated hitters, you know? <laughs> They're... They all deliver when it's their time to deliver. And I know you've said before, there's not a weak link among them. No. There just, there truly isn't. And that's really impressive. And it makes it so exciting to see in each new episode, okay, what combinations are we going to get? That being said, I did have a question for you. Yeah. Well, a comment, and then I'll pose it to you. After this season, I'm definitely eager to see more of Jasmine Drew and Joel. Mm. I feel like they are characters who, by and large, didn't have those moments in the spotlight quite so much as others. And in a a different way, Gabby, (laughs) strangely enough, I remember her a lot, but I think she was only actually in two episodes of season one. Is that right? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, she's certainly very memorable and very lovable. So I, I, I guess I just didn't forget her. But um, the idea of a behavioral aid for Max, that feels like someone who should be sticking around. Yeah. And who should be present for a while. So I also kind of wonder, where did she go? Like, I liked that they brought Mark back. Like, bring Gabby back. Yeah. I bet it's because for the first half of the season, Max was in the forefront and Hattie was more in the background. And then it kind of flipped, you know. Mm. That That's what I would think. And, and so I, I like to think she's still around. She's just you know, off stage, she's off camera, or <laughs> just not seeing yeah. her right now. But uh, but so are there characters that you're 
eager to see more of like, Oh, I hope in season two, we get some juicy storylines <laughs> for so-and-so. You, you named really good people. As I've said before, like a question I was thinking of asking you was, is there a character that you've just really appreciated this go round that you didn't before? And for me, it's Joel. Um, and so that makes me want to see more because he's just so much funnier than I remember. I do think it's interesting. He and Drew, I've never really thought of them being similar at all, but they kind of are. They're both these like quiet guys in this family and maybe like Camille, <laughs> they feel themselves swallowed up sometimes, you know, which could probably happen. Um, it's a good question. I, I'd like to see more Camille. I feel like she was often in the background. She often did get swallowed up when she had a scene, kind of like Mae Whitman. She was just incredible. I can see why a previous guest, Megan, wanted it to be the Mae Whitman <laughs> and Bonnie Bedelia show. They are fantastic. But yeah, for sure, um, Jasmine. Yeah, that, that's, that's such a good pick. I Like, for example, I found myself wondering... Is, is dancer her only job? I realized I didn't know. Like, has she supported a five-year-old son this whole time dancing? Like, if so, that's amazing. I mean, you're a musician. That's how you've supported yourself over the years. And that might seem, <laughs> for someone like me, like, wow, that's incredible that you can support yourself that way. So maybe dancing is more lucrative than I would think. But I, I also wonder, do, does she also work at a bank or something? <laughs> you know, does she also have to have just like a, a normal person? Or job? I would wonder, does she teach dance? Oh, that of course. seems like a really yeah. obvious possibility. But they, they haven't told us. Yeah. And it was funny that Crosby himself, like, have we seen him at work since like the second or third episode? I feel like it's been a while. Maybe he's not yeah. going. He's avoiding Katie because she still works there. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, I has all these years, it never occurred to me like, okay, yeah, he dumped Katie, but they work together. Yeah, it's just not a problem, I like? guess. Yeah, I know. To answer your question about characters I was looking at differently, I did write down Joel is much funnier than I remember. And then I wrote down Hattie is much more mature than I remember. I did always have this memory of her. It's like, oh, Hattie's the bratty teenager. And Amber is kind of the the older soul. And while I do think that is true a little bit, I feel like this season is just riddled with instances where Hattie is just wise beyond her years. Yeah. And even if it takes her a sort of teenage route to get there, <laughs> she ends up at a place where... This is interesting, too. I feel like several of our guests have alluded to the teenagers behaving much more maturely yeah. than they kind of expect teenagers to believably behave. I think it speaks to me truly not remembering what it was like yeah. to be a teenager. <laughs> or maybe I was just some weird anomaly as a teenager, too. But I kind of always expecting the teenagers to like do the adult thing. And I, I don't think I remember, but they're not adults. <laughs> like when I was, when we had our episode with Blair and I said, oh, just talk to Amber about, about the Mark situation that she has a crush. Make sure she's okay with it. And that she like gives Sarah her blessing. And Blair was like, she's 15. She can't give her blessing. <laughs> I was like, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just thinking like, oh, talk to her. Like she's your friend, but she's not your friend. She's your daughter and she's a child. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I think I don't remember totally what it's like to be a teenager. And so maybe that's why I judged Hattie a little bit as a brat when in fact, if anything, I think she's probably smarter than most teenagers are. I remember very well what it's like to be a teenager. And I think it's because since I teach teenagers, I just think about my teen years 
so much more than if I had a different job. I just feel like I'm constantly trying to relate to them by imagining what they're going through, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, even at the beginning of the episode today with you, I I said that Hattie was the character I most related to. That is super weird. I am the same age as Sarah. I should probably say one of the adults, (laughs) but um, I really felt like I related more to Hattie. But But also there's no adults in the show without children. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Maybe Hattie won't have kids and then I'll be right that... (laughs) (laughs) You know, but um, now I'm curious, were there any characters that you saw yourself in at all? Or are you like, nope, I'm really not on this show. Um, None jump out at me. I mean, I think if I had to say, I would probably say Adam. I feel like I'm always trying to do what I think is the right thing. Yeah. And I'm not wild. Yeah. And thus, I I don't think I'm much of a screw up. So I don't think I really fall in line with like Sarah or Crosby or Zeke. And I'm not driven, I think, in the way that Julia is. Although maybe, I mean, I have a I have a real work focus that especially this pandemic I think is shining a light on. Mm. Like, oh, there's not a lot else in my life except my work. That's uh that's probably not great. Mm. Maybe that's worth uh, I should fill out some of those other areas. But I don't know that I would say I see myself in her. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess if I had to say anyone, maybe Adam or, or, you know, maybe Christina, the the way Christina worries mm. and kind of spins out of control sometimes, that's me. <laughs> that's a lot of who I am. Wow. Those are good answers. Or maybe Joel. I mean, I, I am pretty quiet, but I think Joel's probably more generous than I am. I don't know. You're, you're very generous, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. You're also funny in a way that can't be ignored the first two viewings. <laughs> you're funny right away. <laughs> I looked up a review of this episode. Oh, yeah. And this is from Entertainment Weekly, Ken Tucker. His review begins, Few shows this season premiered as more of an underdog than Parenthood. An ensemble family drama arriving just after shows in that genre had peaked. I'm not looking at you, brothers and sisters. <laughs> the series had to do a crucial bit of recasting with Lauren Graham replacing Maura Tierney, who had to leave for health reasons. And while we know families can be diverse, would it be possible to believe in a series in which Craig T. Nelson is the father of Dax Shepard? As it turned out, Parenthood steadily developed into one of the most engrossing, adventurous family dramas in years. Credit creator Jason Kadams, with knowing how to juggle multiple storylines while keeping the big cast evolving emotionally. And then he discusses some of the particulars of the finale. Here were just a few observations he made that I thought were interesting. He mentions Julia and Joel tried to help Zeke out of the financial hole he's in with his bad real estate investment. Julia did what Julia usually does. Oh my gosh, these fucking pop-up ads. Sorry, it's <laughs> it's moving the paragraphs around. Um, you shouldn't cut that. <laughs> so I can't find where I am. Okay. Julia and Joel tried to help Zeke out of the financial hole he's in with his bad real estate investment. Julia did what Julia... Oh, I, it happened again. You've oh got God. to keep this in. <laughs> No, it's fine. Julia did what Julia usually does, tried and failed to avoid being judgmental about everyone around her. (laughs) Christensen has the trickiest role in parenthood in many ways and nearly always pulls it off in a manner that only leaves you wanting to throw a pie in her face every other week, which I assume is how Kadams wants you to think about Julia. Now, what do you think about that? 
I, I just like yelled into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> um, do you think Julia tries and fails to be non-judgmental of everyone around her? Huh. I wouldn't have said so. But now. I would sooner say that about Adam. Yeah, me too. I don't think Adam is hardly ever trying to be judgmental, but he almost always does come across. <laughs> yeah, he's so judgy about like Gabby and stuff. I can't really. I mean, I guess Julia's judgmental of Raquel, but for good reason, I feel like. And that breast implant woman. Yeah, that was pretty judgy. I didn't like that. But, you know. And she did dismiss Joel's real estate acumen. Yeah. Which I guess is a form of judgmental. She's not judging her dad when everyone else is. You know, she keeps saying, like, look, you know, excusing his behavior and such. Um, I don't know. I I guess so. But I guess I wouldn't have thought to call her judgmental so much as, you know, words we've used before, driven and passionate. And I think sometimes she's a little... um, Myopic? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. Or no, I guess tunnel... I mean, I guess I'm thinking tunnel vision. Yes, that's what I was... Trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Single-sided or something like that. Single-minded. Single-minded, yes. I certainly never want to throw a pie in her face. I've never once wanted not, to throw... Not on any week. No, never. <laughs> I don't think I've, that's ever occurred to me. I don't think I've wanted to throw a pie at anyone, really. Maybe Zeke Maybe sometimes. Zeke. When he was like, I consider myself too big for, to fail. It's like, all right, here's, yeah. here's a pie. Sit down. I more want to muzzle him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I kind of want to muzzle him. Um, Ken Tucker also said... Sarah had a lovely, awkward moment when she gave her mother what must have sounded to Sarah like sage advice. You don't need an invitation to your own life, only to hear it curdle into unintentional smugness even as it left her mouth. Lauren Graham is great at playing abashed compulsiveness. Ooh, she is. She's just great in general. I love her so hard. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't know that I perceived that line as like something she regretted saying as soon as it was out of her mouth. No. So I I maybe disagree there, but it did strike me. It sounded like a line that had been written Mm. a little more than the other lines she was saying. And so I wonder if that was Ken Tucker's way of... (laughs) justifying a sort of intrusive writer line. Yeah, I could see that. But I bought it mostly. He says, if the drama that gave the hour action was the... So fucking A. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. If the drama... (laughs) Drama... (laughs) British or Boston. The drama. If the drama that gave the hour action was the search for runaway Amber, Parenthood proved that it doesn't need a lot of action to be excellent. The dialogue, the unexpected mixtures of one sibling with another. I found the tension between Sarah and Christina, especially choice, Mm. combined to give the show a richness that's going to make it one of the shows I most look forward to seeing again in the fall. I feel like that's kind of what we just said. But it's so nice because you read all those reviews after the pilot and people were so hard on it. And it's nice to see that maybe by the end of the season, even though it had lost a lot of viewers it had maybe gained more critical acclaim. Yeah. Which it totally deserves. (laughs) It's so good. I agree. It's a really good season of television. It's been, I don't know, just a hard, (laughs) a hard time in the world. (laughs) And, And it's, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I would have a hard week at school or something. I used to just love losing myself in fiction. I was a big reader. I love TV. I always have. And I I love movies. And it often helps me 
recalibrate, I guess. I, I don't know, just to disappear into another world. And I know that some people, as we've said, think parenthood is <laughs> too realistic to be <laughs> very good at, at getting you out of your own world. It's exactly what I want. I just, I want kind people who are trying their best and I want them to feel like friends. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I know we've discussed a little bit on the podcast and a lot off the podcast, what a joy it's been to watch this show weekly. Yeah. To really take in one episode at a time. And I hope to any of our listeners out there, if you're listening to this podcast and watching the show, I hope you will resist the urge to binge because I, I honestly feel like I'm like learning a lesson in a way <laughs> of of just like taking things a little bit slower. I really look forward to watching the next one in a way that when you just click play next or now you don't even have to click it. It'll just happen. Yeah. You just lie there and wait for the next episode <laughs> yeah. to come upon you. And um <laughs> That anticipation is really, I think, a factor in my enjoyment. It's I look forward to seeing these people every week, and the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Um, so, and I know you and I have been watching each episode twice. Just you know, we don't want to sound stupid on our own podcast, <laughs> but I think that has been really lovely too. When do you ever do that? I never, you know, and and so the idea of really taking time to notice everything and and just yeah it, it really does feel lovely to just give it so much care i'm also so excited for what's to come because while i haven't watched ahead you know i will look up like guest stars in future episodes and there have been some people i'll see their character names and at first i go who I don't remember the whole character. And then I'll realize, oh, it's like this major character who I will then remember, but they've completely escaped my mind. And then I'll go, oh, I get to like, I'm so excited to rediscover some of those people because even if I then remember who they are, clearly I don't remember details. Mm -hmm. I remember the broad strokes and I have an impression of what I thought. So I'm excited to see, was my impression correct? Was it not? What did I forget that I maybe love about them or, or that I really disliked who knows that but the suspense is exciting oh yeah and i'm excited to have some of the guests on that we had first season and to have new guests um yeah. you know it's fun to like talk with people who used to love the show and it's fun to get the opinions of people who've never seen it and it's just fun frankly during a pandemic to have a reason to talk to people and it's like the fun like it's just such a crazy way to catch up it's like instead of just talking on the phone it's like no you watch this Come meet us <laughs> and then we'll we'll dissect. And it just it makes me feel like it's connected me to people in my own life um, more, which has been really beautiful. So, yeah, this whole thing has been a joy. This is totally out of left field, but it has come to my attention a few weeks ago now, actually. I keep meaning to bring it up. I believe I've been pronouncing the last name of the actor who plays Joel incorrectly. Oh, no. I think it is Sam Jaeger. I am like 99.9% .9 sure. I always thought it was Jaeger too. But I would like to invite Sam Jaeger onto the show to clarify <laughs> the pronunciation <laughs> of his name. And then we'll see what else we have to talk about, if anything. Yeah. Oh my God, that would be so cool. <laughs> well, thank you all listeners who have stuck with us for a whole season. Yay. 
it really means a lot that anyone is listening to this and enjoying it. If you are enjoying it, let us know, please. Um, you can email us, parenthoodpals at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You could leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We would love to get your feedback. And you can find all of that information on our website, parenthoodpals.com. Well, until season two, may God <laughs> bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come too. No. <laughs> <laughs> may your wishes all come true. <laughs>